Do we have a show for everybody today? I'm super excited. I know Jim, for one, has been in suspense for weeks. Um, because I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> this is the show. It's an unboxing. This is actually the very first unboxing we've ever done on Continuing Conversations. Isn't yep. that right, Jim? I believe so. Okay. So for those who are new, you're probably also noticing if you're watching the video cast right now that we have an extra special guest today. Um, before we get into that, for those of you who have never watched Continuing conversations before or listen to it we're all about star trek adventures rpg which in my biased opinion is the best rpg on the planet for a million reasons okay you can <laughs> contest me on that wherever you want on social media um, i'm michael dismuke i am a blogger on continuing missions which is the number one fan site for uh, star trek adventures rpg right now and i'm also a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG, which is super fun, one of the best jobs I've ever had. Jim, why don't you introduce yourself before we get to our special guest? Sure thing. My name is Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for Star Trek Adventures RPG by Modifius Entertainment. And uh, I agree with you, Michael, this is the best freelance job I've ever had. So I got lucky. So happy to be here. I think so. Look, even the Gorns are happy in my picture. <laughs> you never see happy Gorns, so this is really good. All yeah, right, and now yeah. we, we get to introduce Casey Hardy for a special reason. We've invited her on the show, but Casey, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us your background with Star Trek RPG and actually just RPG. Yeah, hey everybody. So my name is Casey Hardy. Uh, my background is in all types of role play, but mostly what I do is live action role play and cosplay and anything that lets me get my hands dirty with interactive stuff and role play. So I'm really excited to be here for this unboxing because there's some really cool features that I would like to get my hands on and talk about how you can make your role play more interactive at the table. Oh, awesome. Casey, you're going to be a fantastic addition. I think one of the biggest things we talk about at Star Trek um, with Star Trek Adventures is um, for years, people have been intimidated to maybe join an RPG or even to start even watching Star Trek because they're like, oh, there's so much canon. But one of the biggest things we push here, um, I know with both Modifius and the Star Trek Adventures line and continuing conversations and continuing mission is no, 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 no. This game is so wide open when you have an entire universe, there's infinite diversity and infinite combination. And that includes the way you play RPG, including LARPing, which is very popular. And anybody who watched Hawkeye in Marvel just saw how LARPing just took off, right? So, so today, what we're going to do is this. I, I was like, how do we format this since we're talking about different types of RPG? Well, one of the happiest things I'm able to say is Jim has an unopened tricorder set. Okay, so we're starting with announcing the tricorder set has been out for how long now, Jim? Uh, the box, uh, well, so uh, yeah, the UK got it a couple months ago because uh, they were able to clear customs faster than uh, the, the United States. But the uh, uh, United States got it, gosh, two weeks ago, I think, and started shipping it from the distributor. So it's just it's just hitting stores now and conventions yeah. and all that great stuff. Okay. Now, let's talk, let's talk about what's, what's groundbreaking, kind of historical, because I have mine and I've been shoving it in your face for weeks, you know, showing it off that you don't yeah. have it, and I did. So, so why don't you talk to us about why the tricorder set is so special? Why is it so special? Uh, well, because from uh, uh, almost from the beginning, when we started working on the game back in 2016, 2017, we were, we were developing the game 
and we knew we wanted to make a big deal out of it because there hadn't been a Star Trek RPG for what 14 years or something and we were developing this gigantically massive Borg cube box to on launch it was going to be the Borg cube it was going to be full of books full of miniatures full of dice tokens all that stuff and uh, it was just going to be this gigantic thing right and it was so cool when it came out and you know a lot of people loved it and it was like it was called like the best gaming box ever released for any game ever because it was just so massive right mm -hmm. but like hot on the tails of that release we knew we wanted to do something cool for the original series fans and we took some time to think about it and, and you know we, we finally narrowed it down to we would want it to be a tricorder box with stuff inside it, all kinds of cool stuff inside it and so we started developing that yeah pretty much right after the uh the game launched in 2017 and uh, just through a, a wide variety of circumstances and issues, it took years and years of development. I mean, really, the, the development itself didn't take that long. Uh, but just to get it through the, the challenges of global production in China and, and then COVID and everything else, just it just went on and on and on. We just could not get it off our plate, you know. Uh, but finally, we, uh, we got it into the, into the production at the right time. And fortunately it, it navigated covid and you know it took i mean it's late i'm late in in global terms because of uh, all the challenges with the global supply chain and covid and shutting down ports and factories and uh, i mean the list goes on i could i could spend an hour here telling you about all the bs that we had to deal with <laughs> to get this worth the wait I mean, i'm gonna tell yeah. you right now it's worth the wait and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna but we're gonna have you unbox it i'm gonna yep. talk about my players experiences with it i do want to ask casey right now though casey from a larping point of view why is this tricorder box so cool to you oh it's totally interactive and i am addicted to <laughs> storage containers but you you can hold it you can use it as part of your role play it looks like the real thing anybody who's a fan of the original series knows like way back in the day one of the first toy sets that they released was the landing party set and you got your tricorder and you got your phaser and you got your communicator. Yep. That's what everybody wants to get their hands on. So it's awesome. Yep. I, I was telling in a previous one, I've been scanning my wife with it. So I've been walking around the house like, how are you <laughs> feeling? Actually, don't tell me. I'll tell you. Yeah. Press with the diode. <laughs> That's Casey, cool. Casey, I love that you brought up the landing party set because way back in the in the 70s when I was a kid, um that's that that was my introduction to star trek actually is I, I think we one of my friends on the on the on the playground had had that set and so we would spend hours you know being we didn't even really know who kirk and spock and mccoy were right but like we had the sense and we saw pictures or something i don't remember but we would run around you know playing star trek before we were actually watching the episodes um so but that that landing party set has a special spot in my memory for for all the good times with star trek and uh, yeah yeah the tricorder set certainly harkens back to that absolutely yeah like you were mentioning you had new players at your table experiencing this for the first time yeah. i bet they picked it up and immediately knew what it was for right it's a mm -hmm. scanning device it probably makes weird noises they did <laughs> they were they were scanning our whiskey collection we did a whiskey tasting they were all over. <laughs> so so casey i have to ask you do you have the landing parting set the original no one? i don't um most of my original props and replicas are from tng on um, I haven't gotten my hands on a lot of original stuff because honestly, there's a hot market for that. I'm a big replica collector and people want that stuff. Now, I, I might step away for a minute. I actually do have a phaser, not a tricorder, not, not a communicator, but one of the really nice ones that lights up and makes noises. And I use yeah. that for LARP and for cosplay because <laughs> it's, it's something that's interactive. P people can see the lights light up, they yep. can react to it. It's a lot of fun and you don't have to instruct them. It's just very natural play. Mm -hmm. Something buzzes and makes a light at you. 
you're gonna know what to do with that. Yeah, I think that, and we, you know, we were talking about this too because there was some co- conversation on. Um, these are collector items. I just want to say they, they are collector items. You know, um, some people are waiting for the PDFs. I see that conversation happening. But I, I have to say, um, and I didn't mention this last time, Jim, when we were talking about it, you know, definitely budget is an issue. But I tell everyone in life, especially my nieces and nephew, when they're like, well, can I afford this? And can I not? I ask them how often they have Starbucks, Starbucks or Pete's coffee in a month. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. if you sacrificed five Starbucks, is that worth having? And they're like, yeah, actually, it mm-hmm. is. you know, and even when, mm-hmm. when they want to purchase sneakers or whatever. So, so mm-hmm. I have to say, I remind people that this is a, definitely a collector's item. And to your point, Casey, is boy, if we could have the original landing parting set, how happy would we have <laughs> if we had picked that up when we had time? And I'm not doing the sales thing because I, I'm, I'm a minimalist, but I do like good art. And we're going to be talking about the art in this book and, and how it's put together, even how the binding is made and the, and the box, what it's made out of, because people have been asking that question mm-hmm. on social media. Lot to talk about today. Okay, so we're really going to dig into it. What what I'm going to really appreciate watching now is Jim, you taking this package and unwrapping it. Keeping uh-huh. in mind, we're doing a podcast, so you're going to have to be super descriptive as to. I, I can manage. Yeah. Um, although I will note, uh, Michael, I don't know if you have an outline or something somewhere, but I would. I don't know if it's suitable for this conversation, but I would love to get Casey's input too. Um, I we should talk about at some point the the sheer amount of value that's in an RPG. Right. It doesn't have to be about Star Trek, but like like when you buy a core rule book, right, mm-hmm. how much value is in that thing in terms of like his playability and his replay value and all that stuff? We're, we're totally we're talking to- about that today. That's totally yeah. appropriate. I it just, it just, you were talking about the coffee thing. And it was like, yes, coffee. There's no value in coffee. Like 10 minutes and it's gone. And it's, right. it's very ephemeral. Right. But mm-hmm. but an RPG book, when you've got it in your I mean, it's the same thing with uh, computer games. Honestly, you can spend 30 bucks on a computer game and get. 300 400 hours out of it that's that's huge value right anyway yeah, and, again, I, I, and again I, I, no and i want to i want to point out the reason we're mentioning this is not because of sales because believe me i've had to convince so many people over three decades about the yeah. power of rpg it's yeah. an art form it's like buying a guitar you're not going to regret it if you play it every day right it's going to give you enjoyment whether it gives you money back in a sense right and so i do want to have that conversation including with casey about larping and the value artistically and socially and emotionally and mentally of rpg this is the perfect conversation for it okay absolutely all right are you ready yeah all right so for the for those of you who aren't on video right i've got this gigantic freaking box this is probably like a i don't know this is probably like a 16 by 16 packing box i got this from my post office box last week actually no it's been two weeks now it's been two weeks michael i've I've waited two weeks you're patient i'm not that patient you know me i'm always i'm always very impatient so there's a there's a little flyer in here from the top for a Skyrim the board game coming out pretty soon. Not not don't mean to be a plug, but it was on the top of the box, so that's coming out soon. Uh, a whole bunch of uh, biodegradable packing material, always nice. And uh, is it biodegradable? Wait, is it? Is it really biodegradable packing material? Uh, yeah, this stuff. If you get if you, if you put it in water, it'll dissolve. You it's mean I can corn. Put, I can put that into my compost bin? Yeah, it's corn. I didn't know that. I've been yep. throwing it away. Oh, Lord. I could give it to my worms. Okay, good enough. Thank you. Anyway, so holy cow. Wow. This is this is massive. Wow, this is a lot bigger than I was expecting it to be. Like, And this is the challenge. And I've talked about this before with the Shackleton book. Um, the, the challenge that I've always run into when I work on these books, I always see the Word documents and then the PDFs, right? And when I'm working on PDF, like, 
it'll say it's a U.S. letter size book or it'll say it's a Royal Digest size book or whatever. It's like, okay, whatever. Uh, but I don't appreciate the dimensions of it until I physically have it in hand, right? So like for, for four years now, I've been looking at like, this is the fly sheet that we packaged so that you can see what, was, what we were selling right, without opening it. Uh, I always assumed this was just a U.S. letter size piece of paper, right? It didn't, I mean, I knew what the dimensions were, but it didn't mentally register until I actually saw the thing in hand. And, and like, this is a massive, this is a massive. Well, I have to ask a question about it. I, I actually yeah. have a question it, and I don't know, is, is this, I'm, I'm at, for those who are not uh, watching, I'm actually wearing it around my neck like McCoy. <laughs> I, I already unpacked mine because I couldn't wait. I'm notoriously impatient and impulsive, yeah. but I have to ask, is this the same size as the TV show? Was there any consideration with that when you were designing it? Uh, I honestly don't remember. It's been so long now. I, I don't recall. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure that probably played into it somehow, but I think the realities of the available sizes of books probably had an impact too. So we probably had to find that happy balance between the authentic prop versus what what format we were going to put the books into. There's probably like a happy meeting them somewhere. Great question though, Michael. I'm, I'm sorry I don't have an answer for you. It feels a little bit big, but you know what's funny is um, I know that there's another company working on a on a, a you know prop accurate version of the tricorder with all the license sound and effects and stuff. I'll be curious to see what theirs looks like compared to our side in, in terms of sizing and stuff. Um, and I know it's just not available yet. Um, so anecdotally, I don't have the whole story, but I know that the um, the designer who did the uh, the design layout, right, the, the graphic that's on this thing that makes it look like a tricorder. Mm -hmm. um put uh, anecdotally i heard he put a ton amount of research into like finding pictures that were good enough that he could base the design on so that it looks accurate so that you know you look at this from across the room you you know this is a original series tricorder right um so he i know he put a lot of work into it um and now i'm opening the flap and uh okay so he did a great job on the on the interior design with the the screen and the little uh the little grill and the buttons and whatever this these discs are, do we um, do we know that those are? Um, is that pretty accurate to the original series? Casey, you have any take on that? Do you know? Yeah, yeah. Like immediately, that was the try. Casey, I'm going to ask you to repeat that real quick. One second, your audio is going in and out. It could be your headset's connection. And uh, I, I'll give a shout out to Studio Timbo right now, who is our editor, who does miraculous things when 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 this happens. So. Always got to give a shout out, shout out to uh, Jeff Harvey, who does all our editing for. All right. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, you sound super clear now. Okay, awesome. So what was I saying? So I was asking you about the artwork inside the tricorder um, artwork and the screen and the buttons. How, how does that compare to the original series? Yeah, it looks somewhere between the actual screenshot of the original series and one of the ones that you might've seen on the animated series. Like it's this lovely blend of 3D and 2D art. It's immediately recognizable as the tricorder. Like you could show that to anybody and they would know exactly what that is. Awesome, that's so cool. And what are those little diodes at the bottom? I, I wasn't sure if these are like isolinear chip. No, they're like on, on the actual prop, they're these little silver like ribbed discs. They never really explain what they are, science mm -hmm. stuff. Star Trek science stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. yeah. So uh, while you were talking, um, I put myself on mute because I took the strap out of the box and I took the strap out of the cellophane. I, I didn't want to, you know, it's really, really noisy cellophane. So I didn't want to, you know, bother it with it too much with the noise. 
Um, the strap, I'm really happy with this. We, we, I, you know, one of the things about doing um, uh, stuff like this is, is you are exposed to the number of options available to you for straps and stuff and whatever. And uh, we must have gone through like seven or eight different strap options with the company. And initially, uh, the one we selected was actually a nylon weave with the with the caps. And the more I looked at it, I was like, no, we need something that looks more leathery. Like 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 the original strap was leather. It was narrow. It was you know it had that very specific look. And so we uh, we actually went with the with an upgraded strap. And I, I don't think this is leather. I think this is like. Uh, some sort of vinyl composite or something. Yeah, I, like, I don't know it, all the materials really well. Yeah, but. it feels like a vinyl. For people who are listening, you know, the tricorder, if you watch the show, there's a strap so they could wear it around, yeah. you know, kind of wear it like a little purse, a man purse as they were walking around. And uh, so this is the strap that Jim's referring to right now. But the, the, the I mean, it looks really durable. Of course, it's black. It looks solid. The buckles are solid. Now, of course, the buckles, uh, you know, I'll be transparent and say that they're not accurate to the prop. Because as much as we tried, like if you look at the actual prop, the, the strap is integral to the case. It goes actually inside the case. And like there was just no way to manufacture that in such a way that it would be durable, right? So we had to go with the rivets. If you look at the side of the box, there's rivets on the outside of the box. Uh, there, there's a, um, eye eyelets for the, for the um, strap and the rivet goes inside the box. Uh, and that was, the, that was the best compromise we could come up with. So, um, you know- Let me the, ask a question that came up too and and maybe Casey since you're you know an active LARPer you could talk about it so the composition of the box is a, is a cardboard and I do have to I, I have to say you know I, I because I I play with mine a lot I had a little nick on, on mine so Casey any advice for LARPers when you're dealing with you know cardboard construction what do you do about that well, the good part about cardboard is it's really forgiving. So if you make a nick in something, I don't know, black, you can easily color that in with a Sharpie or paint over yeah, it. Yeah, if you yeah, want to yeah. be gentle with it, obviously, as you said, it is a collector's piece. But if I were going to take that to Gen Con and go to a table game, I would have my uniform on. I don't know if we'd be wearing that around my neck, right? I mean, it looks super cool. If it gets a little banged up, you know, that's just that's just wear from your away missions. It's that's cool. life in Starfleet. Yeah. yeah, it makes it a little more realistic. Well, in and, 2023, uh, I plan to make my first run to cons, and I promise I'll be wearing this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and Gen Con, Gen Con is such a press of people. Like, just walking through the dealer room, you're going to get this thing scuffed up. I mean, you just can't avoid it. There's so many people that you have to kind of, you know, navigate your way through. So, um, anyway, yeah. So, that's so, a little bit about the box. I did want to talk about that because people have asked. But it is durable. I wanted to let people know I did travel with it into the wine country, which is, of course, of California, yeah. one of the roughest places on earth. And, and it did survive the trip. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I, 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 could, I could nitpick this all day. But, like, what I'm really happy with is, uh, of course, the, the front of it, uh, and those of you who can't see, the front of it opens up. And there's a little flap that opens, of course, to get into the stuff. There's actually two magnets that make the, the flap close on the front. And what I'm really impressed with, and this is something we were really worried about with the, with the manufacturers, is that when the, when, the, when the flap closes, there's a, you know, if you remember the design of the tricorder, there's a silver uh, band on each side that um, goes um, vertically on each side of the tricorder. And we were worried, you know, when that flap closes, are those, are those lines gonna be pretty well lined up or are they gonna be you know, off kilter, off angle or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they assured us they were going to get it right. And by goodness, you know, it, it looks to me like they pretty much got it right. Cause like I've, I've opened and closed it several times now 
and it's the alignment is staying pretty true to form. And like, you know, I mentioned it because like I'm a little OCD and I know that there are fans out there who would like totally fixate on that. Uh, so it, it seems to be pretty solid. Now, you know, after uh, you know opening and closing this thing a million times, you know, who knows where it's going to go? But uh, that's well, I got to say too, of, uh, I didn't even notice the magnets till you pointed it out. Yeah, and, and so they're really built in. And now I visually can look at them because I had to search for them. But that mm -hmm. was actually a really good design. It's so cool. All right. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna tip it over here and let all the swag fall out of it. And I'll tell you an anecdote that uh, I think I told you, Michael, at one point. Um, Actually, I'll tell you two anecdotes. First anecdote is uh, you'll notice that the inside of the box, of course, is just it's just empty, right? But um, initially, the uh, the backing of the box was white, right? Because it's just the back of the box. We didn't really think twice about it. But when we saw the um, when we saw the production sample, and we saw the white, we were like, "Oh no, that that's not going to work." Is there any way we can make that back black? And the guy was like, "Oh yeah, that, that's no that's no issue at all. We just didn't know that you wanted it because it was white on the form." And so we said, no, please turn that to black. And it like immediately, I can see it makes a, a huge difference so that it doesn't look like a, I think the, I think the white background made it look like a box. <laughs> and this looks a little bit more like a tricorder, I guess. Um, anyway, so that's one anecdote. The other anecdote is, uh, 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 I joked about this with uh, Sam, the former Star Trek line developer for a while, but um, I had a secret wish for the tricorder and I didn't know if it would ever work. But one of the things I, I thought would be amazing and if we could have made it happen was um, I would have loved, because like when I opened it up, I saw that um, all the books and the dice, there was still some room in here, even with the strap. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it would have been amazing if we could have gotten the factory to buy a whole bunch of those craft, those little craft puffs that you can get in different colors. Like they, they look like pom-poms. Uh, you could get like brown and tan and white and green and pink, all, all these different colors for craft pom-poms. I, I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get like a whole bunch of like half inch and one inch pom-poms in tan, brown and white and just stuff it like, like put all the books, put all the dice in there and then just stuff it full of all these pom-poms so that when somebody, you know, takes the shrink wrap off and then pops this thing open, just this explosion of tribbles would come flying that out. That would have been awesome. I, I, I was like, you know, if I'm a Star Trek fan, oh. I would have completely lost my mind if that had happened, right? And then, Casey, so what? Yeah, let what, me ask Casey a question yeah. real quick. Oh, no, sorry, go finish up, Jim. I want to finish up. So I was just going to say, anybody who's buying this for, as a gift for somebody, if you can do it, if you can find a way to do it, like go to your local packing store because they'll re-shrink wrap it for you. If you can, buy this thing, carefully take the shrink wrap off, open it, take the strap container, because like the strap is in a bag, right? So take the bag of the strap out, fill it with all these craft puffs that look like tribbles, and then carefully reseal it and get somebody to, to uh, shrink wrap it for you. Because the, the fan that you're going to give this to, they will, like, if they don't already love you forever, they will love you forever. They will, like, do your bidding for a, a decade because it's going to be so amazingly cool to open this thing and just have all these tribbles spill out everywhere. It would just be amazing. This is actually a good gift now that you mentioned it. It's good value gift too. I, I, to the, the truth. Yeah. I have to ask Casey a question since you're big into LARPing. You know, once you empty the book box out, what would you do with this empty space here if you had the chance to use it? Any ideas? So I, again, if I'm running a game, I'm, I'm a container now. I've already thought about this. So like I'm, 
a huge fan of cool stuff to store Dyson and extra props and stuff. So I go to thrift stores all the time and I get things like, you know, an Apple watch case looks super Star Trek-y, right? You can put your dice in it. So fill it up with all the gaming accessories that you want at your table. Make sure you've got your extra snacks in there or whatever for your away mission. But it's um, it's a beautiful multi-purpose that's big enough to hold a lot of cool stuff. You can have your notebooks in there if you're the type of GM that likes to take notes about your campaign. Or um, there's actually this amazing 3D print item on Etsy that you can get that's a tricorder dice holder. You put your, your game dice in there. So just just go full inception. Put dice holders in the tricorder that looks like a tricorder. It's uh, do you have do you have that, Jim? Jim I already don't, I don't have to print it out. I would have to send you guys a link, but uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I got, I got a, a fan, a fan online did it on Etsy. And uh, this is, of course, is the one, this is from Lower Decks, right? They got the purple stripe on it. And I was like, I've got to get it. It was, it was a little expensive, but I love it. And I put my, uh, I put my dice in it, right? Um, but I wanted to grab these uh, because uh, um, I wanted to, I wanted to compare the dice, right? Because I, I, I'm going to open up the dice bag first. Um, Okay, first I want to say, Casey, great idea. I, I want to encourage people again. What you were saying is, there's so much you could do inside here with when the books are out of it too. And I was thinking about that. It's like, okay, you know, if you wanted to add more of the original stuff in there, that would be a cool space to build that in, especially with 3D printing nowadays. If you had your landing kit, if you had your, uh, you know, your communicator and your phaser, I think it would fit it perfectly. Mm, good point. Yeah, that's really cool. Fun stuff here, Jim. Okay, so now we've talked about the box. We've got just the just the packaging has, has already talked to us. But I think that there's some really cool design uh, uh, tips, or not design tips, I shouldn't say. There's design uh, put into the, this all the way down to the dice. So do you want to start with the dice, Jim? Before we yeah, talk yeah. about the gaming modules, okay. Yeah, we, we knew when we were doing the box that we wanted to do something special with the dice because it, it wasn't going to be enough just to throw in the division dice, right? This is original series. We wanted this to be really special for the original series fans. And, and we thought and thought and thought, what in the world could we do that's different for the original series? And uh, I think I was actually working my way through another rewatch of the original series at the time, right? Because I was just you know keeping my mind fresh on what it was. And like there was a whole bunch, and I forgot when you watch episodes, you know, in isolation of each other, you don't really think about it, but watching the season from season one to season two, you know, back to back to back, watching all 79 in a row. Um, I realized that Kirk wore his green and gold tunic an awful lot, like more than I remembered. And I was like that we got to figure out how to make that happen as a, as a dice. And so we, we, we did these green, um, these green dice. I don't know if the camera will show it too well, but they're the green dice really bright green with gold numbering on them that shows up really nice there's a good this is a better contrast than i expected to see on them and uh let me see there's on the one face of course in star trek adventures ones are good really good so that we got the delta the starfleet delta on the one face and then the 20 is just regular old 20 that's you know nothing special there um but so we decided to put five of these in the in the box so, you know that's technically a full set because any player is normally 2d20, but you can buy up to three more dice. So you can roll max of five dice. We got, we got to get all five dice in there. We got, we got to give them an opportunity to have five dice. Um, so we did that. And, and like, I love this green color. That looks so good. So good with the gold. Um, it's really elegant. I mean, honestly, yeah. honestly, I've collected, I have too many dice over there to count. 
in all kinds of different colors. And these are super elegant dice. Yeah. Um, they they were fun to game with. And I don't know, for, for the players who it was their first time, I was able to explain them to them the history behind the color of it. And they were like, yeah. oh, that's kind of deep. So I thought that was a really cool artistic choice. Yeah, and then the the, the challenge dice are D6s. And these are these are nothing surprising. These are these are pretty much the standard ones that we've been using for a while now. Um, although we did uh, make a design uh, change on them just to make them a little easier to read because the original versions had like a star field on all of them, which looked cool. Uh, but we got a lot of uh, fan feedback saying it's they're really kind of hard to read. Like the the effect with a star field was kind of similar to a blank with the star field. It was kind of hard to tell what was an effect and what was just the star field background. Uh, so we we decided to go with a cleaner cleaner design and we put 10 of these in the box just because we were like we want to get some maximum value in here so you get you get 10 challenge dice you get the five the five big honking d20s and when i say that like you know we we just recently redid the um the division dice and they're a nice size d20 and then we did klingon dice and the klingon dice are actually a little bit bigger than uh, this wasn't intentional just kind of how it worked out the, the klingon dice are a little bit bigger and I thought about that. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, you know, because the Klingons don't do anything small. They're always bigger than life. They'd have and, it no other way, Jim. But now, but now <laughs> the, the Kirk dice, or yeah, the, yeah, the Kirk dice is actually a little bit bigger even more than the, than the, than the, I don't know if you can see this, but of like, course. The Kirk dice is actually a little bit even bigger. And I was oh, like, well, that pisses That wasn't intentional off. either, but it's totally appropriate because like of all the Star Trek characters, like I don't think anybody is bigger than life than Kirk himself, right? So I think that's, this is just oh man, these are huge. And I have to ask Casey because I actually don't know. I've never LARPed before. Do you, do during LARPing do you use dice? Not well. It depends. Not usually the type of LARPing I do. We're out in the woods beating each other up with foam weapons. It's your traditional like lighting bolt, lighting bolt LARP. But there are all different kinds. There's even one that I might talk about later called um, Strange Gravity. That's like a Star Trek LARP that you can play in four hours. Which, by the way, this this tricorder set will be super cool for. Uh, but sometimes you can use dice, or sometimes you can mix in LARPing techniques at your table to kind of add some conflict resolution variety if you don't want to roll dice. So it's really flexible. I, what is a dice? Just a tool to figure out what happens, right? right? So there are a lot of different ways to do that. Okay, I definitely want to hear more about that. Uh, let, let's yeah, go through that packet. But before we end, I want to talk all about that because for people who don't know. Uh, LARPing, you know, I, I, I've talked before that RPG is another form of improv, another form of karaoke. So I want to totally get into that for people who may want to gradually move into trying trying that out. So I want to hear more about that game. Yeah, I really, right. want to talk, I really want to talk about LARPing because like Michael, the, the more you talk about how your games are primarily played by post on Discord, and like my experience playing the game, it, it's all it's almost like a it's almost like a radio drama every week, right? Because literally, we're just doing dialogue and conversation and, and narration back and forth. We, I mean, we roll dice from time to time, but like I can imagine in my head how easy it would be to translate Star Trek Adventures into a LARP, because like you, you and I talked about plenty of times where we have whole sessions where we don't roll the dice. We're just doing the drama and the, and the narration and the conversations back and forth. And like Casey, I'd love to get your input into like, I mean, do you really need dice for certain games? Not really. I, I mean, I'd love to hear your opinions, of course. But uh, um, I think I almost wonder if Star Trek Adventures might really well translate to that. Well, um, I want to talk about that. Too. We're, we're definitely going to talk about this before we, we have to talk about this, because even as we move into the metaverse, I'm seeing a lot the potential for a lot more people bringing their games to life in innovative ways. And I think it'll become like virtual LARPing. That's what I'm 
thinking we're moving toward as a society. But anyways, we're going to talk about that at the end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I apologize. I, I'm. Uh, I, I will admit I'm fondling my dice right now. It's. Uh, <laughs> It, the the color it, I mean the, the gold is just reflecting off the light really nicely and it, it's just an mm. amazing the green like I don't see that many green d20s like like just my my I, I prefer grays and uh and blues but uh, this is a really nice die I'm gonna put it down now so I, I just stop I'm gonna say um, one more thing about the die which is you guys did a really good job with that because people think watching the series that the tunic's a gold tunic and then if you mm. actually go and look at the fabric it's this really bright green so you've even yeah. got the deep cut of like the proper color from the actual fabric. And it does, yeah. it really looks pretty stunning. I would probably steal those dice and use them for other things. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, yeah, these are these are great. Okay, so that's the, so we, we talked about the box, we talked about the strap, we talked about the dice. Uh, okay, so then we'll talk, let's talk about this, the rest of the stuff that's in it. And what it is, is it's, it's one big uh, shrink wrapped, I guess, package of stuff. And I, I'm just gonna crack it open here because I, and I, and while I'm doing that, I'll just tell you what's in it. It's a it's the it's the rules digest. It's the uh, it's the mini campaign. It's uh, two sets of character sheets and reference sheets, and then it's a um, a, um, a sheet of tokens. Uh, Michael, do you have any preference? What order we we start talking yes. about these? In? Yes, because I, I first want to start. You know, we're doing so good. I believe that any kind of narrative needs lulls, and so I'm going to break all yeah. our hearts right now. So I want you to know that oh, wow. that I had placed my tricorder set on my table, and then of course nieces and nephews come over, and as they are, they run around and just for some reason their bodies are magnets and pull valuable things toward them for no reason. And so my tokens got spread all over the floor, and my dog did this to it. So for those of you who are watching. They oh, took no. one of my tokens and completely mangled my red alert token. All right. It's still good. It's It'll still play the game. But let's start with these tokens since I'm all depressed about this. So tokens. So these are these are literally, uh, these are the exact same token sheets that we uh, packaged in the starter set. So if you bought the starter set, you'll know that these are really um, high quality. Um, I don't know if it's press board or cardboard, but it's... Uh, uh, solid. It's, it's like you see in any board game, really, uh, with, but the, with the pop-up. But with not dog food, just so you know. Not dog food. Not dog food, but you, you know, good not luck stopping proof. your dog. Yeah. <laughs> not dog proof, probably not cat proof either, but, uh, you know, standard standard cardboard tokens, they pop right out of the, out of the, out of the thingy, and you can pop them right back in for storage if you, if you so choose. Um, I've seen people put these into uh, coin holders, like the little round plastic coin holders, if you want to protect the cardboard, but I mean, why would you as cardboard? I mean, who cares, right? But you know, some people do care, right? Uh, I'll acknowledge that. Like, some people do want to keep this stuff pristine. So there's two there's two um, cards of um, tokens. There you get uh, what 16, 20, 20. Uh, I can't do math. 26, 26 red alert tokens. So that's threat for the game master, and then six momentum tokens. Those are the federation uh, symbol there. You got six of those for the players for momentum. Uh, it never occurred to us to do tokens for determination, mostly because each player only gets, you know, one or two at most. So it, I guess that's a missed opportunity. We never really thought to do determination. So I guess uh, maybe we'll correct that someday. But anyway, I so two, two stacks yeah. of tokens. Yeah, I do have to say that my players would say 26 threat tokens is not enough. But that's not enough. Just yeah. <laughs> so Casey, and I didn't even ask, do you have a current um, STA game, game going on yourself? Not right now. My last one ended last year. We were playing it, you know, during the beginning of medical quarantine. Um, and we all kind of had to split off as our as our lives and careers changed. But um, it was a completely remote game. 
So okay. nobody was in the room together. And I'll talk a little bit later about how you can use that to your advantage in kind of a LARPing context and how to make that more interactive. Since you can't be in the room with people, Star Trek is kind of perfect for that particular type of game. Awesome. Right? Yeah. I, I love asking this question because we were talking about threat tokens. And so what's the most threat you've ever had in your hand? Oh God, it had to have been like 12 or more, probably not a huge amount, but you know, we, oh. we did some dangerous stuff, right? Mine was 40, 41 is the record. I'm wondering if I'm the records right Holy now. God. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a lot or a little, I was trying to play very Star Trek, right? My captain was trying to solve problems with diplomacy and make sure to keep everybody safe. So, you know, we tried to play it that way, but I did have some hotheads on my crew. So okay. it didn't always work out. I just like asking that question since we're talking tokens. All right, cool. So Jim, where are we at now with the unboxing? We got through the tokens. What are you staring at now? Oh, I'm being OCD. So uh, you're drooling. Wanna, you're drooling. First, so what's making first? You first, I want to say that you know if you are if you are a longtime book fan like I am, um, and and you appreciate good quality of, uh, of printed products, you'll know that like new new books that have that new book smell. It's like a new car smell. It's like it's that fresh ink. Oh. It smells so good. It, it reminds me back in the day when I had um, uh, the blue mimeograph from high school and middle school. Like the, the teachers would do that old blue mimeograph stuff. It was on a crank and you had ink on it and the ink smelled amazing. And so you got the handouts during school and like everybody wanted to be the kid to help the teacher hand out the, the, um, the paperwork because you got that cheap high off of the mimeograph ink. <laughs> I mean, this, this is way back this is way back in the early 80s so that, that dates me quite a bit but it's just yeah. that smell it smells oh it smells so good when there weren't dry erase markers available you go for the mimeographing right because there weren't even dry i mean this is so far back there wasn't dry erase markers yet right so um we had chalk chalk and erasers and the erasers weren't fun because it was just chalk dust right and that didn't smell that didn't taste good or smell good um anyway uh, I digress. <laughs> Elmer's, come on, we all ate Elmer's glue. Don't lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to start off with the cards. And while I was, uh, while you were talking, um, I discovered that we have, it comes with two packs of uh, character cards and reference cards. Uh, there's one pack for the USS Lex Lexington and crew. And then there's a pack for the, uh, the Enterprise, the classic crew. And what I noticed is when I, when I pulled this out is that there was no particular order to these cards right so i had to fix that and because i'm so ocd so you have the lexington crew in in one stack which is here and uh so that's the lexington crew and that's and then you got the enterprise crew the lexington crew is original to this box um we just made up made up some characters and made up some biographies about them and stuff um but one thing i want to do do note here is um how cool the colors came out like there's a this is a this is the red right and there's a nice fade on it here. So it's brighter on one side and then it fades to black on the other side. So that looks really cool. And then the, there's the same thing with the gold um, symbol on the Enterprise Crew Pack, but it's also on the Rules Digest. Um, and then the, uh, the, the Campaign Pack has, a, has the blue uh, Delta with the, the, the Spock and uh, the Science symbol in the front there. But I just thought the colors look great. They look good on PDF, but now they, they look great in print. And yeah. I'm just really impressed at what a great job the production company did on the um, on like translating this to print. Uh, so the cards, uh, the different character sheets and cards. This is a really nice heavy um, card stock. Uh, this is like 130, maybe 140 weight. A nice, nice solid, not flimsy at all. Um, I would probably laminate these. Just me being me, and uh, I know that you can laminate it and, and trim that laminate down pretty close to the edge. 
and there's still plenty of room they'll fit in the box without any issue if you laminate this even with like a even with like a quarter inch all the way around of laminate these would still fit without any issue and they would that would protect them from dings and wear and tear and stuff um anyway talking, talking real life i just want to say what was really cool about these is my new players uh when we did this last week yeah they what was really cool about the design of these as i described them is not only do you have the character sheets but then you also have on the background of the um enterprise crew instead of their pictures because we pretty much know what they all look like um they actually have all the actions yeah. per um uh your position on the ship so it was cool because what i did is i laid it out for them kind of elkar style and mm -hmm. i said okay this is what your character can do and we laid it out in front of them and they had their character sheet so i thought it was kind of cool that they're constantly able to look down and and i i don't encourage people when they're playing to memorize these sheets i ask them what do you want to do don't look what do you just want to do and then i could refer them to the sheet so that was a really good design on this that you i think a lot of people i'm guessing would end up playing their own characters or the mm -hmm. lexington crew because most people yeah. want to make their own story especially i encourage them if they don't know canon but i think it's smart that you put behind the main characters we all know those action sheets which were which worked out really well for my game with new yeah. players yeah. yep and those those uh, those reference cards are very similar to the ones that we had in the um the borg cube box and then also in the starter set we we re Re, re, uh, reformatted them to the original style, original series aesthetics. But anyway, so you've got the you got the Lexington character sheet there, and then you've got uh, five NPCs or uh, five player characters. You got a captain, uh, a first officer, an engineer, a doctor, and a uh, science officer. And, and they all have original art that I don't think we've. I think we were careful not to ever use this art in any of our products. So we've been sitting on this art for five years now. Not that that's super critical, but we knew we wanted to wait and, and save it for this set. Um, and then, like you said, Michael, we've got the uh, the uh, Enterprise crew. This was uh, in a different form, slightly different format, available as a PDF. We we sell the character crew packs as PDFs, but um, I think these are um, I think the stats are the same. I don't remember now. Honestly, it's been so long. And then on the back, so you know, here's Kirk, uh, James T. Kirk, and then on the back is the uh, commanding officer reference with some information. Uh, and then you got uh, you got Scotty with a rules summary, just the basic rules summary. Uh, Sulu's got the same thing. Oh, he's got helmet navigation. So all, yep. all the quick references here, because uh, uh, what we couldn't fit in here was a game master screen. Uh, there just wasn't room. But what and, was cool about, let me tell you what was cool about that though. Yeah. Again, this is real because even, you know, um, Star Trek characters are, are pop culture now. So people generally know what Sulu does and Scotty does, what was and, and what Kirk does and Spock and Ahura. So what was cool about it is that based on the character they chose to play in our mission, I was like, oh, okay, well, you're going to have communication control. You know Ahura, right? You know what she does in the movies. Yeah, I remember. Okay, flip it over and this is her job. And so to me, that made it easy that they could reference the character that's more pop culture, flip it over and say, oh yeah, this is the person's job. So again, I really like that design. We jumped into gaming after like 20 minutes of quick reference. Yep. And, and for the for the purists among you, we also were we were able to include a character sheet for uh, uh, Nurse Chapel, uh, just because we want to give uh, give her some love. And uh, there's a conflict momentum spent on the back. And I just want to note again, the colors on these look really good. The, the greens and the yellows and the and the reds just really pop off of this paper. So I just I'm really impressed with the printing job. Like, I mean, we had nothing to do with the printing. Right. 
uh, that's not that's not our our thing. But uh, yeah, so Casey. lots of lots of cards here. Really nicely done. Yeah, Casey, what are you thinking so far? Yeah, these look so good. I am not a rules memorizer. I hate doing that. So having all of that right there on the characters that you already know allows you to shorthand a lot of stuff. And shorthanding in role play is also really important and convenient. If you're having to overload yourself remembering stats and how rules work, you're not gonna think about playing your character and getting into the trouble that you ought to be getting into. So it really frees you up to react and act and then figure out what the consequences are when it's time. Yeah, I mean, I can't, going back again, cause we're gonna be bridging over to LARPing is, I prefer that my players don't even look at their sheets or anything the whole time. I want them just to get into it. So I, this is called a rules digest and I think it's actually living up to it so far. As we as we go through those those sheets for that those purposes, yeah, mm -hmm. cool. All okay. right, and still two more goodies in here. Uh, Jim, yep. so I'll just uh, I'll give you a little anecdote. This is the fly sheet that goes that was um, packaged with it. This is uh, uh, CBS uh, Viacom CBS's new packaging for most Star Trek stuff. So if you're in a store looking at Star Trek stuff, you'll see this basic look and feel on most of the newer products that are out there. Uh, they have eight or nine different character options for this little box over here with a very specific coloring that they want you to use. And uh, it just worked out that for the original series, we had two options, Kirk or Spock. And uh, it just worked out for, for a tricorder. It's like, who am I going to put on the tricorder? Of course, it's going to be Mr. Spock. Why, why would I pick anybody else, right? So just a little anecdote there for you that uh, CBS's packaging is very specific about what they want, look and feel wise. And so I was able to make that be Mr. Spock. Um, so let's jump over to the, uh, the um, this is the mini campaign book. This is the blue Delta on the front. Uh, the mini campaign is titled The Keyhole of Eternity. And uh, this is a nice tight, um, uh, uh, it's not saddle stitch, it's a, a stapled mm -hmm. booklet. It's a 44, 44 pages. Uh, this is one of the, this is one of the few adventures or campaigns we've actually printed. Like most of our stuff's in digital. Uh, but the uh, the campaign and the starter pack, uh, the single adventure that's in the Klingon GM toolkit, and this one are, are about the only ones you can get in print, other than the big uh, the bigger um, uh, anthologies of uh, standalone adventures. But this is a mini campaign in a booklet, and uh, so the and I get to ask you before yeah. you pass it up because you're always so humble. Who wrote this? Uh, well, it was uh, it was me <laughs> back in the day. Again, this is like five five years almost five years ago now. Uh, I was I was just the line editor and a writer for the line. I hadn't gotten to be the uh, the project manager yet, and uh, and Sam wanted me to to write the campaign. And I was like, yeah, okay. And so I wrote this three part campaign, knowing it was going to go in here, and um, it just worked out that you know things moved on. Well, but, I got to say that, and I, I just got to mark because you know I interview a lot of the writers and stuff. Like yeah. I noticed that right away because normally, Jim, you're excellent about. I mean, you have such a diversity of writers and artists and creators and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, three entire stories written in a row by one person is actually rare now because you really <laughs> yeah, sure. have it. And so I was yeah. like, oh, I, I, I did notice that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. I, uh, I want sorry, to point I, out, I got distracted by the art. No, um, no, actually, I can I highlight that? I actually want to share my, because I want to share an art piece which you talked about before, but I'm going to highlight it again. Yep. The first time I saw it, I remember it. I, I was. I think I know what you're talking about, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and share this screen because I, I actually, I'll give me. I want um, Casey your opinion on it. I want to um, make sure I grab the right one. Yep, here it is. Okay, let's look at this art real quick, and we'll describe. I'll describe it, and then Casey, I'll get your feedback on it first. When when I was flipping through the art to Keyhole to Eternity, which is what Jim was just referencing, 
This was one of the pictures that came up that is set in a bar setting at the beginning of the adventure. But Star Trek has always taken a lead in diversity. And this picture, um, for those of you who can't see it right now, it shows Starfleet um, officers, the original series era. They're in a bar. Um, there are, you know, there's Andorians, there's Tellarites, there's a few other species in there. There's a human. Um, and the human, I remember when it first came out, I immediately reached out to Jim. I was like, wow, who did this art? And it's because it's a man who's obviously um, African origin. He might actually be South American origin too, because um, that's a common uh, setting, but he has the lip decoration, which we see in some, some of the native cultures. And to me, that was such an honor to human tradition. So Casey, you're looking at this art now. I don't know if you saw it before. Is this the first time? What are you thinking? It's the very first time. And the first thing that I thought was that is what Star Trek is about. It's about taking all of the traditions of Earth's past and presenting them in a positive way in the future. Representation is super important. And that's not one I have ever seen represented in game art before. Like it's, it's amazing. The rest know, of the right? movie, like there's a Lurian in the background and they're playing Dom Dot. It looks like a super cool club. But that also says like, this is normal. <laughs> this is how these people hang out. They're, they're just another part of the mix and they're accepted for it and it's great. And also oh. the, the, um, the ring that he has in his lip has got this really cool design on it too. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, know, I should zoom in on it. It's so cool. Jim, talk to me about this. I, I remember it blew my mind. I'm zooming in on it now for those of you, you can always go back into YouTube and watch what we're looking at here, but talk yeah. to me about this um, piece of art. Yeah, well, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion is super important to me in my regular life. And it has been important to me in my entire life, even before Star Trek that I can remember. And, and I knew, like, once I got into a place where I was starting to write art briefs for the game, and, like, I knew I wanted to not, not get more, but I wanted to make sure that the art represented the diversity of, of the Star Trek setting, right? Not just humanity, but just, like, all the different species that are out there. And uh, in the command book, the command source book, that was the first one I got to actually write art briefs for. I knew I wanted to get a, uh, uh, um, uh, a Maori character in there with the with the full beautiful facial tattoos and the whole the whole you know culture in there and so i said okay let's let's write an art brief of a new captain getting ready to take their first command and they just happened to be maori with all the facial tattoos and everything it, it just it felt it felt to me like it was so important to make sure that there were su such a diversity of cultures represented in our artwork and uh and i wanted to do that for this one too and i i, I will admit because this is this art hasn't gotten out yet, right? This is the first time people are really seeing it in this book because we, we, we held on to it for years. I really want to hear from people of African descent and South American descent. And like, if we got it wrong, tell me because I, I'm really afraid of um, accidentally people thinking that we are appropriating their culture and using it inappropriately. Cause like, that's the last thing I want to do. And uh, I tried to reach out to some people and say, hey, is this, is this art okay? You know, can we go with this? And and like the, their reactions were what Casey said. It was just like, yeah, this is this is something we haven't seen before. This is amazing. This is great. And you know, I'm not going to be sitting here patting myself on the back because like, you know, I'm I'm who I am, right? I am not Maori. I am not Af of African descent. I'm not of South American descent. I don't want to keep doing this kind of thing and accidentally be getting people pissed off and saying, why are they doing this? This is so wrong. Uh, so if anybody sees this right and and has a problem with it, please email me. Don't hesitate. Uh, I will I will take the heat, but uh, I, I hope that this is a fair approximation of uh, of somebody's 
culture that would carry on into the 23rd, 24th, 25th centuries, uh, because that's that's part of humanity, right? As we honor our heritage and our and our memories, and we carry that forward, and we find creative ways to do it. And I thought this was, I thought it fit, but uh, what I, I think what, your, what, what, it, what I thought it captured for me is what Michelle Nichols always said, you know, and or I should say, other Black African American actors had seen about the impact of seeing Ahura on the bridge back in the mm -hmm. 60s. And to me, this was like, right away, it's like, oh yeah, there's a place for me in the future. And that statement alone mm -hmm. is so powerful. And so for those of you who are playing the game, I know Jim, we've talked about it a lot, is, is bring your characters into the future. Be there, be, you know, represent. It has such a difference uh, emotionally. Like I said, this, was, this just got me this, own, this piece of art alone was yeah. worth the whole buy because it said it says wow. so much about the future today. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. I get emotional. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop and, sure. I, I, and I don't I don't know. Like it, it been, I have to tell you, I, I, I will just emphasize again, this this product has been in the works for so long that I think writing that art brief and getting that art commissioned predates Black Panther coming out, the movie Black Panther, of course, because there was a one of the one of the tribes in, in right. the movie um very strongly featured those uh those uh, those lip plates and uh when i saw the movie i was like i was like oh shit i think we got it right <laughs> but i didn't want to i didn't want to admit it i was like oh i think this is gonna be really interesting whenever this this set finally comes out people are gonna maybe make that connection i don't know i haven't heard yet but uh, uh it was neat to see that kind of parallel moment happen i think a picture's worth a thousand words and yeah. that that one really sums up what star trek adventures was about that to me so you hit that one on the mark i you know, I, I haven't heard Thanks. anything negative about it, but but keep that kind of art coming. And I think it will make people be like, oh, I need to really get involved with this game. I think, mm -hmm. Casey, anything else about that? Well, I was just thinking about how, and this has been in the works for five years, right? Discovery is a show that has really driven that home about diversity and finding your place in the future. And I have seen so many young fans who had no idea what Star Trek was about come to Star Trek because of that show, because mm -hmm. of the diversity and inclusion. And yeah. I think if they can then find themselves in games like this, they're gonna do what we all secretly wanna do just a, bit, a little bit, which is live in a Star Trek, <laughs> right? And you can bring Star Trek where you are here today by exemplifying a lot of those attitudes. Um, and this is another way to do that. So it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And Michael, I, I don't know if you wanna pull that picture up again, but I, it just dawned on me just cause we're talking about it. Uh, and because Casey mentioned the diversity, there, there is actually not a single, a single, um, what, I mean, there's a human in this picture, right? But there's mm -hmm. not a single white human in this picture. <laughs> and, and that's because you get, you get the Andorian, you got the Orion in the back, you got, I think, a Salayan and a, a Lurian and a, a Tellerite right. and then a couple others on the side. I can't tell, quite tell what those are on the other, on the other side, but uh, um, it struck me there was some episode of, discovery i was watching and i was like oh this is because i'm so sensitive to it in my day job and everything mm -hmm. i was like oh there's not a single white guy on this on this screen that's amazing what a yeah. different what a different change of pace for star trek and like i know there was a subset of the internet that blew up and they were angry about it and i was like okay get over yourselves we've, we've had <laughs> white guys on star trek for 60 years you can, right. you can share the screen all right or you can you can let the screen go for a little while but uh right. I, it just dawned on me that this picture uh uh reflects that and again this is this was five years ago so this was even before most of discovery came out it's before prodigy it's before it's before uh, uh picard right it's hard to remember that though well that to we that were... point i want i want to add to that point too because we know i'm you know my second favorite 
franchise is Marvel. And, yeah. and Guardians of the Galaxy is just a bunch of, you know, I'm all about the vigilante stories in mm-hmm. Star Trek. Uh, you know, I got the privilege of writing that, about that. And you could have a Guardians of the Galaxy level crew in Star Trek. It's so open that again, the point of the, the gaming system is it's just a really good gaming system if you want to roll dice. So the rule base is good, but it's still open for any kind of stories you want to tell. Mm-hmm. And again, this picture kind of talks to that too. It's like that you don't have to picture yourself as Kirk and that crew. You can yeah. picture yourself as whatever you want to play, right? Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, powerful picture. I mean, look, look at that. Just one picture can evoke so much... Um, storytelling i, I want to play this crew actually I'm like, <laughs> i wish you would have done a character sheet for him but it's okay oh, I'd rather, yeah i'd rather make it up myself so that's yeah okay. yep. <laughs> okay um, so, so talk to us let me ask you about the keyhole of eternity it's you wrote the story give us some background on it yeah uh well i don't really want to give too much away i mean not that it's a huge secret or anything but like if there's any players watching i don't want to give away what happens because uh obviously you want to you want to be able to experience it right but it's uh it's good, in my opinion, it's Star Trek in the traditional original series sense. Uh, it starts off with some shore leave, opportunities for shore leave, opportunities for a ton of role playing. So like, I, I think I told somebody, you know, take this to a convention, play the first part as your convention like game, because like this is literally all role playing. You could probably LARP this, uh, honestly, because it's, uh, it's people hanging out playing Dom Jot. And then as they're hanging out, having a good time at this, at this resort planet, weird things start happening all of the you know the weird the weird stuff comes into play it's uh it's like ghostly images or echoes in their mind or they're hearing voices you know kind of get that weird stuff going on and then the plot blows up from there and uh the only thing i i we were talking about larping before you go on okay i have to ask casey this because what jim just said you could totally larp this at a comic con because it would feel like all the aliens are there. Talk to me about this. Are you feeling <laughs> me? Are you feeling, talk to me about this. Yeah, yeah. No, you totally could. Um, and, you know, the difference, the line between LARP and sitting at a table is so much finer than you think it is. Like the second you feel like you want to jump out of your seat and maybe act out an emotional scene with somebody, you're there. Too late, you're already LARPing. We gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, doing it at a convention, um, you know, I've had, I've had thoughts, getting a lot of people in the same place where they're new foods and experiences. We have done LARPs in restaurants. You could do a LARP around like a diplomatic scene, very well-trodden tradition in Star Trek, right? Some weird food where you have to not offend an ambassador. Like there's all sorts of fun stuff you can work in there just for 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be the whole focus, yeah, but yeah. giving yourself a chance to embody that and you know stand up and move around and talk to somebody in the face is just a little bit more fun than sitting at a table rolling dice. And the closer you can get to that, the more free your players are gonna feel. You got all that improv in there and then your story just takes off. Well, I'm really thinking about this. If you, going to Jim's story, I'm not going to do spoilers on it, but if you, I, I did read through the whole you know, story, but that whole bar scene feels like Comic-Con. I mean, it really does. <laughs> if you've ever been to Comic-Con, it's like, hey, you turn around, there's all, a new creature behind you. So it would be kind of fun if we used our cell phones as tricorders and use that for messaging during the game. I mean, I could really see that taking off. with. You're stealing my thunder, man. That's exactly the type of idea to make it more interactive. We live in the future. Mm-hmm. If you've seen the latest episodes of Picard, you know, the cool tricorders that they have on new mm-hmm. alternate future, that's a galaxy phone with a 3D printed shell on it. Mm-hmm. Like literally that's what it is. And it's, when you think about it, that's because of Star Trek way back in the day, right? Would we have flip phones and flat screens if not for Star Trek? So use it. All right. Sorry to interrupt you, Jim, but I had to say, if I'm going to ever try LARPing, this might be the one I start with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, don't want to give too much away. The only mandate that Sam had for me, he said, you know, I want you to write this campaign. 
And he said, it would be really cool if you did something with string theory. And I was like, okay, and I'm going to go do some research on what the hell string theory is. And uh, you know, I hit Wikipedia, I got a couple books and I looked at it and I was like, uh, I kind of get it. Like I was a liberal arts major. So science, I just didn't have the science. Um, but uh, I tried. And, uh, and so I really went crazy with it and went wild with it. And uh, so the, the adventure involves um, uh, uh, Klingons. It, there's an opportunity for space combat. There's an opportunity for hand-to-hand -hand fisticuffs in the original series sense. There's an opportunity to have a first contact with an alien species. And there's an opportunity to do a bunch of other stuff in the, in the original series, uh, you know, Bane. Um, but there's also an opportunity to do some really huge role-playing scenes. There's some very dramatic moments that uh, will test your crew and, uh, and challenge your crew and hopefully, you know, give you an opportunity to, to stretch your mind and your opportunities. And uh, hopefully it's fun. I can't wait to hear what people do with it. Because uh, like I said, we've been sitting on this for five years now. And like, I've, for I've forgotten some of the details, but uh, now that I've got it in hand, now I can reread it. Wow. I'm going to give a spoiler, not a big spoiler, but I'm going to give a spoiler because I know me and Jim have a thing for focuses. And, and I, I, I pick all these books apart in a certain succession. And one of the things mm -hmm. I do is just go through and look at all the NPC focuses. So I'm giving you kudos, Jim, because on uh, the Orion Syndicate captain, you gave him two amazing focuses, boarding operations, actually three, boarding operations, torture techniques, and Federation deck plans. And I was like, wow, like what cool. I, we talked in our previous episode actually about really using those focuses to drive narrative and I can't wait to use this guy. He, uh, those three, again, boarding operations, torture techniques, and Federation deck plans. How awesome focuses are those? So good job on that. I'll do almost everything you need to know about that character just with those three things. Like, oh. how did you get there, buddy? All right. Federation deck plans, and he's an Orion. Oh, my goodness. What, what are his connections? So that, that whets our appetite. I want to play that character so bad. All right, that leaves us. <laughs> you forgot. Okay, you did yeah, that. I'm rereading re re it. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. But you know, uh, Casey, you make a great point. And uh, th this is something that, that I've thought about and I haven't figured out what to do with it other than just to think about it. But like, if you, and, and Michael, you might be able to reflect on this, right? But when you've got a character and you put together a character sheet, um, even for like a, a notable or a minor character, like with, with a paragraph of description, a couple values. And their focuses, like that's that's almost all you need, right? To play a character, because like you know where who they are, where they're from, you know what's important to them by looking at their values. I don't mean to point at you; I'm not pointing at you. I'm just counting. Uh, and then focuses, like you're absolutely right. Like this guy's got torture techniques and Federation deck plans. Why does he have Federation deck plans as a focus? Why would he possibly have that? It but scares me actually. The, you look it at his really values. One of his values is for the Syndicate, so he's all about the Orion Syndicate. He is. He is syndicate to the core but then you read his little paragraph of description he is an ambitious low-tier syndicate captain who is trying to earn a reputation for himself so it's like oh okay this guy's this guy's hungry and wow. he's he's he is he is driven to study federation deck plans because he's like he wants he wants to go get himself a a big old ship well know? and who's who's the dirt bag who who's on his payroll at utopia planitia that i could create a whole story oh yeah over that yeah. I mean, yeah. who's, who's feeding him the information? Okay, I'm going to stop before I ruin it for my players. And they yeah, start seriously. <laughs> but again, a, a power, of, I have to give it the power of Star Trek Adventures is when you create characters like this that 
that that alone can create a story and your players you know one strange focus or one strange value different values different uh, focus can make it a character so interesting and, mm-hmm. and so that was a really good design on that character i thought so thank you appreciate it um last thing i'll say is um and i don't want to give this away because i think it's kind of an easter egg and I, i'm sure some people will figure it out fairly quickly but um i i am a huge music aficionado and I, I just love music uh, in, in all of its different forms. And uh, um, I was inspired by a, a Star Trek novelists, Dayton Ward and David Mack, who have written just a ton of Star Trek novels. And, and for the longest time, all their Star Trek novels were titled by Rush um, uh, song titles, right? Like every, every book that they came out with was a Rush title of some sort, it was a song somewhere. And I was like, I'm so inspired by that. I've got to find a way to do that somewhere in Star Trek Adventures. Like, I didn't know when I would do it or how I would do it or whatever, but this was the opportunity to do that, right? Now, I'm not as big of a Rush fan as they are, so I went with a different uh, musician. Um, but I'm curious to see if anybody, I mean, now that I've kind of revealed it, you'll pick up on it. But uh, um, it was, it was a, a fun guess? challenge. It was a fun challenge. Fortunately, this artist has enough of a backlist and enough numbers of songs that I was able to get a nice selection of, of titles and then I was able to kind of like write each of the key acts kind of around that title a little bit. Now, I didn't go so far as to to write the chapter to fit the song because that would have been a little too meta, I think. <laughs> but uh, I went with the titles. So I'm, I'm just, you know, because I'm such can a I huge guess, fan. Of music. Can I get one guess? Because I like music. I'm I mean, looking. if you want to spoil it, that's okay. Go ahead. Oh, I, no, I'm anti-spoiler. So yeah, I mean, it's not really much of a spoiler because there's really no connection between this artist and Star Trek that I can remember. Uh, so and no, if you want to guess, go right ahead. Just tell me if I'm right or wrong. It sounds like Eric Clapton, maybe. Uh, not a bad guess, but no. <sighs> okay, I tried. <laughs> Casey, the, the, I'll give you the, the names of the the songs are "Troubled," "Slow Burn," and "No Way Out." Any guess? Hmm, I cannot because the only I, thing that's hanging on me for "No Way Out" is David Gilmore, but that's not the other two don't match. So uh, okay. I got it. And then, right. and then, well, so I carried it through all three parts, right? So, so part two, the, the three acts are signal to noise, that voice again, and downside up. I look forward to seeing people comment in the comments and say who this is. I'm sure it'll, yeah. when this comes out, we'll get all the, yeah, uh, you know, but you know, the challenge is, uh, is I got to encourage people don't cheat. Don't go to the internet because like yeah. of course, the internet is the fountain of all knowledge, right? Like right. you could, you could figure this out in 30 seconds if you type it in. And because Google will spit it out for you, no problem. Let me, in Um, fact, tell this to the audience right now. If you Google this, instead of knowing it, you have no honor. No honor. (laughs) No honor. (laughs) Hopefully that will affect So before we go into the last part of it, like I know we've been doing this for an hour now. How are you guys doing on time? Should we break this up into two or should we just keep charging forward? No, this is good. I think people, you know, people have been complaining for a while (laughs) that ours are too short. So this is... You all you complain it's too short. This is an unboxing. You're just gonna have to deal with it. Yeah, and and I first thank you, Casey, for being a for being a very patient guest because I know there's still a lot of stuff we want to talk about. But thank you for indulging us and actually indulging me, honestly, right? Because Michael's already opened his. He's already he's already he's already spoiled himself. But uh, well, so we'll go on to the rules digest now. So this is the rules digest. It's got the gold um, delta command delta on the front and a gold with a fade on the side. It's got the Star Trek Adventures logo. It's got Rules Digest on the bottom. This is a very hefty, solid um, 
this isn't quite royal size. This might be a six by eight book, maybe not quite that much, but it's smaller than the hardcovers we do, obviously, because we needed it to fit into the box. Um, really, really, I mean, really solid paperweight. Like this is really heavy uh, for, for a book. It's a paperback, a soft cover. So it's, uh, it's got the flex to it. Um, it does have, um, like if you're into the books, it's got that, that edging on it that is meant to lay flat without breaking the spine. So you know, as you use it, the covers will bend because there's a there's a um, I don't I don't remember what they call it. It's a uh, it's not a cut. It's like it, they've they've creased the covers in such a way that when you open it, it'll bend right, but it won't break, and you're not breaking the spine because the spine, uh, like unlike the hard covers that are sewn, uh, this is just glued. It's a really solid glue. Um, now I, with a lot of wear and tear, that glue will probably come loose, and you'll just have to reglue it. Like you know, there's lots of easy ways to reglue books. If they come out, uh, this is a, a 304 page digest. So it's a pretty, pretty hefty book, right? The, uh, the core book itself is 364 pages. So we had to do some cutting. Uh, we, we cut a lot of stuff out of the core book, especially all of the next generation later stuff. Cause we wanted this to be really, really focused on the original series. Cause we knew this was going to be the original series product. We wanted to strip out as much as we could. That wasn't original series, uh, even to the point, And like a lot of people don't care but I do because I, because we put so much time into this, like Nathan Dowdell, who developed the 2D20 system for Star Trek, did a fabulous job of writing examples in, in the rule book for like as many things as possible. Like here's here, I'm talking about this concept. Here's an example pulled from Canon so that you understand it's not just talking about these characters. It's like Spock is doing this thing. David is doing this thing. Picard's doing this thing just to make it clear that he's pulling stuff from the episodes and making it relevant. Uh, but so when we did this product, what I had to do is I had to go in there and I had to strip out all the next gen examples, all the Voyager examples and rewrite them and come up with an example from the original series that still fit that con that, that rule concept. Right. So um, all the rules, all the rule, all the little rules texts in here, a lot of them were original series in the core book already, which is great. It saved me, it saved me some time. Uh, but we did go back through and did a top down. Uh, refresh on all that stuff just to make sure that like if you're an original series hardcore original series fan and you're reading this you're reading about your characters you're reading about Spock and Kirk and McCoy and you know so on and so forth and you don't hear about Picard or, or Janeway or whoever else you know just because we wanted to try to focus this on on the original series. I want to add a couple <clears> things too is you know some people may be like well why the digest so not only does it fit in the box which is great if you're going to gaming and stuff like that but there's actually some new art in here that wasn't in the original because the old the tng style art had to be taken out so i noticed like on pages um 84 85 88 there's new you know art for spock and nurse chapel and dorians the classic Andorians. so there there are definitely this this one is totally a service to tos um in comparison to to the core rulebook, which has it all, and some people, you know, whatever they want to call themselves, they just love TOS and they play in the TOS era. So this is definitely dedicated toward that. Even the style of the art, there's no L cars in here; it's all the yep. original um, Duot what Duotronic Isolinear, whatever yep. whatever that is. Um, and then I have to shout out because there's too many names. There's 23 writers and 22 artists. <laughs> that this is the work of that huge of a group. So it's really a neat accomplishment it's really neat neat book yeah. yeah so all the all the writers like we didn't for for this other than other than going through and editing it and and refreshing all the rules examples that i just talked about 
um, all those writers actually wrote the content for the core book, right? All that stuff got ported over and, and re-edited again. So um, I wanted to make sure that we, we honored their contributions to the first core book because you know it's all in here, right? So we didn't wanna lose sight of that. Um, a lot of the artists, of course, were um, art that we commissioned for the game, uh, but a lot of it also is uh, because we're a CBS licensor, a licensee, um, we have access to their um, art archive and um, they have just a ton of art from all their different, you know, licensees that we're able, that we're able to access. And which is really great because um, it's free, right? It doesn't cost us anything extra to get that artwork. We can just say, oh, it's in your archive. We're dropping it right into the book. So like, if you're a fan of the, uh, the ships of the line calendars that have been coming out for the last 20 odd years, um, there's a certain amount of that art that is in the library that we can access. And so we were able to use some of that art in these books but what I wanted to make sure we did is is acknowledge who that artist was. We didn't want to just say CBS Studios because, of course, it's all owned by CBS anyway. But we we did our due diligence to try to find who actually did that art, right? Which designer or which developer was it who did that art, so that we could put their uh, their name in there. That's why you'll see uh, like uh, um, uh, let me see uh, Tobias Richter, Elaine Rivard, um, uh, Steve Sark, a couple yeah. others. That, yeah. that like the, the hardcore fans who like know Star Trek and like foul artists and through all different products and stuff, like they'll know the names. And we're not intentionally misleading you by saying, oh yeah, we hired them to do art for us. Although in some cases we do reach out to them and say, hey, you did great art and ships of the line. Can you do some custom commissions for us? But we, we just want to acknowledge all the hard work that, that they do and did. And I have to add one more thing, you know, yeah. one more thing before we get into LARPing. And mm -hmm. There is, and tell me if I'm wrong, I think I'm right about this, but on page 298 and 299, not only do we have Tribbles as a minor PC, but there's even massive Tribbles as a notice, mm. notable NPC. I don't think that's in any other book. And it even oh, has, no. I mean, they're fully written up as a notable NPC. Am I right about that? Uh, the, the Tribble itself is in a couple books and it's also in that free download that you can get on uh, on the website for Tribbles. Right. But I think I think the massive Tribbles, I think that's unique to this book. I don't I'd have yeah. to go back and look and I don't remember. Yeah, I think um, yeah, so we dropped the in. Yeah, you know, there's some there's some there's the Tribbles like I couldn't get them in physical form, but we got a picture in there. So that was something. Exactly. Um, so so in review, I have to yeah. say that this I'm, I'm I just uh, we're going to talk about LARPing and then I'm going to talk about the effect that this this um, piece of art I'm going to call it a piece of art collector's edition had on my group for the first time when we, mm. when we sat down to play it again people who've never played Star Trek before and people who, one person who never even saw an episode of Star Trek before so uh we'll talk about that but let's go um Jim is there anything else before we talk about how you could use this with LARPing before we pass it over to Casey to talk a little bit um no, I mean, we could we could do a deep dive into the rule book and how we made changes to it to reflect the Klingon book and also the original the original rule book. But I think I've talked about that ad infinitum on other <laughs> other reviews and articles and stuff. So suffice to say that this was, uh, um, you know, a, a lot of work, but very much a labor of love. And we tried really hard to make it as up to date as possible because it took so long to develop this thing that that the Klingon core book came out before this did. And so we were able to take some of the changes we made to the Klingon core book and apply it to this so that this is kind of like the latest and greatest Starfleet version of the rules. Uh, we're not certainly expecting you to go out and buy it if you have to, you know, if you want to, but uh, um, all the all the stuff that we got from the Klingon book, I had like three days before this had to go to production to, to make any changes to it. So I like I, 
I grabbed the graphic artist and I was like, okay, we're going to make as many changes to, to this thing as we can in as short a time as possible. I'll get the most important stuff in here. And we, we just cranked on this thing over a long weekend, I think, and uh, it got as much as we could into it. So that's the last I'll say, because we could go on for another hour and I don't want to do that I like it. <laughs> with you guys. As is the case, as you go through these slowly page by page, there's always stuff to talk about. So people, if you want to dig in and just have fun and look at great art, great story, great rules, great RPG, this is a tricorder collector set. And of course, if you're on continuing missions, um, by the time we air this, it'll be in April and we will be having a second tricorder box giveaway. Um, we had one in March and now we're going to have another one uh, so people can get it for free if they uh, enter to win. All right, Casey, now that we've broken apart the tricorder box set, what are you thinking? Oh, it's so cool. So my first thought is my introduction to LARPing was through tabletop. As many people's this, you know, I started tabletopping in college and the more I got into it, the more I wanted to contribute to it. So you start making little props at your table, depending on what you're playing, you might, I don't know, wear a costume, you might have a funny accent, you might wear a weird hat. And Star Trek was that thing for a lot of people, especially the original series back in the day, you were going to play Cowboys and Indians, you're going to play Kirk and Spock and Klingons, right? Get out there, get your landing party set, really experience it. So I think this really comes back to the spirit of doing that for real. Like you may not be able to go out in a spaceship and explore space, but you can go out in your backyard and scan a weird bug. So it's just, it's really close to sparking that imagination that you had as a kid and bringing that forward into adulthood with all the ability to have really emotionally impactful role play and play off of each other and see where a story goes. Um, one of the previous episodes of yours that I listened to was about, you know, kind of how to run a session and not have everything plotted out, but have your touch points that you want to hit know how you want to get there and let, let the story read it, uh, you know, roll along that way. TOS is a perfect venue for that. Um, you know, you think about how low budget those original episodes were, but they're kind of charming in that way. And you get to tell the moral stories without focusing way too much on the canon technical details. So it gives you so much freedom to just figure out who your characters are and then plop them into this world and let them see what happens to them. Weird stuff, weird stuff's oh. gonna happen. Well, so let me ask you, so I want to back it up because I'm going to go from my feelings. I like walking people through this. Maybe they're like LARPing. I don't want to do that. You know, that's so uncomfortable. So tell me why, why LARPing is an art form. For me, LARPing combines all the things I love to do. I love to tell a story. I love to dress up weird and have a funny accent and make other people laugh or make other people have a feeling. And my favorite part is actually kind of the set design of it. So the step away from the table to the LARP venue is a lot of times it's immersive. You might have a decorated table or a wall or something with lights on it. And it just allows you, instead of thinking about someone's described this to me, you get to get your hands on it. And that's what I like to bring to my gaming table every once in a while. Like, like Cookie Monster teaches us, you know, props to the table are sometimes food, but every once in a while, dropping something in that your players can get their hands on and pass around and talk about and examine just brings that little bit of magic to the table. And you know what? Guess what? That's LARPing. Yeah. And I want to talk about this because one of the, one of the things that I like about RPG and Jim knows people who, who, who look me up on LinkedIn, I'm a gamification expert. So I, at work, build learning into games, including RPGs, and people don't know they're doing it. They're role-playing their job, and we're creating scenarios. And most people in corporate America are doing this and don't even know it. If they go to any really good uh, learning session, they're role-playing. We, they even use the term role-playing. 
Um, and I think one of the big, as I go back and you know look at the neuroscience of why we do um, gamification in the work world is because when people play, their guards are down, they're more, more open to learning, they're more social, they're pushing themselves socially where they wouldn't in real life. Um, and so talk to me from a LARPing from that perspective too, what it does for the human condition. I know that's a deep question, but I'm gonna let you take it. No, it's, exactly, it's exactly the core reason why I think, think LARPing has stuck around. I've been LARPing for you know, almost 20 years at this point. The LARP that I run is 26 years old, which is astounding for what that is, like continuous game world. And the reason people keep coming back is not because of you know the cool set pieces and the fact that they get to cast magic spells or blast people with lasers, but it's because of the emotional connections. The way that you get to tell a story, you actually get to step away from your real life and feel like you're being a hero for a minute and have a real story to tell that everyone else witnessed. Like it, it was super cool and everybody agrees that it was cool and they were there. Um, you can have deep, tragedy and process feelings that you wouldn't really be able to feel comfortable being exposed to in your normal life. One of the things I like to do at my table that, that brings rolling dice a little closer to role playing is give players agency to have bad things happen to their characters. If they feel like they're gonna be safe having that story told and being able to influence that, they're gonna let the big dramatic moment happen. And in your real life, you don't want bad stuff to happen to you. You're gonna blow yourself off. You're gonna be really careful and make sure that you're kind of stepping away from consequences. But in role play, you get to go all the way in the other direction. And Let's LARPing is just an extension of that to say like, and I'm here. <laughs> like, yes. I, can, I can move around this space and see what's new. I wanna get definitely more into the safe space to experiment with bad experiences uh, you know, with that. But I wanna make the bridge over to Jim because you um, for years have, have done acting and directing What's the connection between LARPing and that? I think I mean, just listening to Casey, I, I think the I think the the line is so close. The lines are so close, right? Because uh, uh, I mean, just listening to you, Casey, I, I was harkening back to my my earlier days role playing Star Trek, not not Star Trek Adventures, but just Star Trek in general. For a long time, we didn't have a game system that we liked, right? We had Blast Unicorn games and Decipher and Fossa and and my my group and I, we just did a bunch of homebrews. And we were like, none of these are really fitting the way we want to play the game. Because what we were doing is we were almost doing LARPs at the table. We, we bought uniforms. We had the Playmates tricorders. We had the phasers. We had, we had the music and the sound system. And we, had, we even went so far as to like set up my, my, my best friend's basement to look like the bridge, right? We had a, we had a big, um, we had a big um, um, uh, chalkboard. That was the view screen and we would actually draw stuff on it like here's what you're seeing on the view screen and we set up the easy chairs and stuff to look like the bridge chairs and all you know just the ridiculous stuff that you do but but what it did was it immersed us completely into star trek like we were in that that brain space the moment we got into that room we're like okay we're in our we're in the uniforms that we all went to the convention and we bought our uniforms together we've got the playmates toys we've got the role play toys with the sound effects and like we, we can feel it right we're in the moment and um what that did is it it's exactly what you were saying it, it it made us so free to just role play the characters and just to react to what was happening what the game master was giving us as we were going we didn't i mean the 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 um the homebrew we came up with we didn't have dice we just you know we just kind of bullshitted the rules and you know excuse my language but we just kind of faked it and just we, we just went for the drama and it was so fun <laughs> to do that because it's like other role-playing games, like you're at the table, you're focused on the miniatures, you're focused on the dice, you're focused on the map. And I'm not you know, disparaging it. That's, I, I love to play that way sometimes, 
but it's a very different experience, right? For, for to be going back and forth with with the role playing, and um, I want to yeah, say what's it's funny about almost that. yeah. And what I want to say about that before you know, yeah. I, I, I always play the uh, you know because again I deal with so many students or participants in my classes when I when I build them at work, and you always have the cynical people, mm-hmm. and I, I describe it to them like this: it's like you know most people go to movies or they go to the Broadway plays and, and you know small playhouses, and the people up on stage. I don't know about any of you, but I've always felt when I'm watching them act and really, I'm, I'm having fun for them. I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, they're having so much, what a, everyone, and every, come on, anyone who goes to see movies or thinking like, that would be such a fun job. This is, come on, everyone can't be a movie star. Mm-hmm. You're not always going to have a big audience, but, but you could sit in the audience and you can watch or you can participate. It's like going mm-hmm. to play car- karaoke with your friends. Don't just sit there the whole time, grab the mic and have mm-hmm. fun, sing what you want to yeah. sing. And that's yeah. where, where, RPG in its different forms, whether it's very basic at the table on mm-hmm. Discord or something like that, but all the way going graduating to LARPing, I see it more as stage play acting. It is really, yeah. And, and right. Mike, I, Michael, you, you said no, not everybody can be a movie actor, right? And mm-hmm. I, I agree with that, right? I think the way movies and television are, you've got to have the whole package. You got to have a certain look. You've got to have a certain skill set, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I think personally, just through my years of experience doing doing theater. Um, I think anybody could do a stage play. Anybody can go audition and get on stage and do something. Even if you're, you know, third spear carrier from the left, or you're a, you're a character role, or, you know, you, sure, everybody wants to be the lead, but let, let me be honest, from, from a, you know, career character actor, you don't want to be the lead. That's so much work. The, 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 char- the people that are having the most fun on stage are the ones doing the character actors, right? Falstaff is having way more fun than Henry the Fourth because that's just the nature of the characters. But uh, I digress. Anyway, so the the no, you the make line a with, yeah. What's that? No, no, no. I want to f- focus on that again. Is the point is because I, I want to focus on the creative exercise. People yeah. think about people are always so concerned about what other people think of them, mm-hmm. and I can honestly say I played had my group for twenty eight years playing, yeah. and it's because of them that I became better at work better in confrontation, better mm-hmm. with creative and great and a story writer. Mm-hmm. Because, and if I never had all those experiences, I wouldn't have been the person I am socially. Yeah, yeah. Nope, I agree right. completely. Yeah. I think uh, Star Trek and uh, role-playing and LARPing and theater um, all, all play into it. I mean, you become a stronger writer, the, I mean, even just reading a stage play, because stage plays are predominantly dialogue. And you hear how people talk to each other and you, and you, and you read about how people say things without actually saying anything. Right by through their actions, right, and uh, you know I don't want to push the Shakespeare, but like Shakespeare is is the the by far the bona fide. Like if you want to hear about the you, you want to learn about the human condition, go read some Shakespeare and like really read it. But don't just read it. Go get on stage somewhere. Do a do a live reading. Just get get the words in your mouth and and feel how it actually feels to speak these words and and feel what it, what it means to do. Anyway, I'm, dig- I'm digressing. No, it, I all fit, it all it all plays into role playing because that's how the LARPs were so good is because yeah. all my all the guys in my group and, and the and the one lady, uh, they all had a little bit of theater background. They all took uh, electives in college. They all tried it a little bit just to see what it was like. And, uh, you know, most of them weren't enough into the theater to continue it, but they all had some theater in their background uh, and they were all writers and they were all creative and, you know, the, just that whole thing. Uh, but they are all role players too, and I think that's just that just worked out for us to get into this whole kind of LARP mindset of like, oh, we're going to play Star Trek, and like, present in all of our minds was we're not just going to play Star Trek, we're going to go buy uniforms, we're going to go get the props, we're going to make this a whole production 
without intentionally you know having a director or whatever which is like it because that's what we see on the show right star trek is a drama a television drama it's a stage production i mean especially the original series right because of the sets and the way it was filmed that was pretty much a stage production <laughs> yeah, you know every, every sets week. and limited sets casey i got asked where where would you get started okay someone yeah. you know is maybe nervous about larping and oh my like how would you let's let's keep it in the framework of star trek adventures just because that's the audience who tunes in for this podcast so where would you get started with larping so I do, I want to pull back just a second and talk about why the Star Trek Adventure system is so great for this, because if you think about what Star Trek is versus a Dungeons and Dragons game or other types of role playing and LARP that you might do, Star Trek is an ensemble cast. Everybody needs to get their own screen time, right? And the best LARPs are collaborative. You're yes anding each other. Yes. You know a couple of things about your character that you need to know to tell them how they're going to react to a situation. That's those values from the system. You've got your focuses. That's what you're really good at. You don't really need to look at the numbers so much. All you need to do is be thrown into a tense negotiation with a Ferengi or you know a situation where things are going really wrong in sickbay, but you have to stay on the bridge because of tragedy reasons. Uh, you know All of these things let you get out of looking at your piece of paper and then into what can I do to push this scene over the edge into a really dramatic Star Trek moment. And that is your beginning point for live action role play. You're not just sitting there staring at a piece of paper. You're looking at the other person across the table or across the screen. And you just know the next thing to say to really push that into a truly heroic moment. You'll find it. Even if you're nervous about it, lean into it because nobody's there to judge you. Everybody's there to lift each other and play. If you've got a really good table, it's all about going, get you let's okay. go even further with this so talk to me we we talk about it a lot me and jim but let's talk about it in case someone just turned into tuned into continuing conversation for the first time talk to us about yes and so yes and is a concept of taking the thing that the other person says as truth and building on it yeah. if somebody says my engineering station just went down and I don't know what happened. You don't want to say, well, no, I'll just push a button and fix it. It's like, this sounds like a problem for our chief engineer to check out. Let's make sure that we route it down to engineering. Something weird is going on on the ship. If you yes and it instead of no anding it, you build on what you're trying to achieve without feeling like you're shutting anybody down, which is the most alienating feeling in any role play is being kind of pushed to the side. It makes you feel like you don't matter, right? But if you yes and, you're listening to what they're saying. You're looking for ways to contribute to it. Um, it's exactly what you do when you're a kid, you know, out in the backyard. Right. And, yeah. and that's what, you know, we don't play enough as adults. That is why things like this, and it's not competitive. It's supportive. <laughs> that's the other bit, right? You're not trying to top yes. each other. You're trying to add to each other. Correct. Um, Collaborative. I have to, you know, again, going back to what you just said, the human mind learns the fastest in play mode. And how you prove that is because you can teach a five-year-old 10 languages. You can teach an infant. 10 languages if they're playing games with other kids on the schoolyard meet these army who what they call army brats or these un kids who mm -hmm. who learn different languages by playing soccer there's studies on it and as you know uh, humans as we grow into adults we stop and we kill that play center of our brain which also slows our ability to be open to new ideas and to cut out bias it's science and so and so the fact with the larping and having that yes end mentality I'll, example i go into work with yes and if a team member has an idea okay let's play that out to the end let's see how this works and it creates an amazing innovative environment creative profitable for business right and so you're seeing that you're saying that larping how do you get people to get into that yes and mode if they're a little trepidatious at first 
So first you have to demonstrate it, right? You have to embody the qualities that you want others to see, but you also want to invite them. Pause, don't, don't talk over people. If you see somebody being really quiet at your table or in your LARP, you want to kind of bring them in and say, do you want, you know, you look like you're really having some serious thoughts about this. <laughs> Would you like to contribute to the conversation and give them space to interact or notice something that they're doing and compliment them on it. Just really make them feel included. Um, another way to sort of build on that once you get into that attitude is you want to make it easy to step away from yourself, nervous, introvert, introverted human who's sitting at a table and kind of into your character's shoes. So I usually start layering on, we call it the silly hat principle, right? Wear a thing. I know plenty of Star Trek Adventures role-playing gamers who don't ever meet in person, but they're all on their screens and they've got uniforms on. They're playing their characters. They're able to look at each other and, you know, through the view screen, right? Down in engineering, down, at the, uh, down on the planet. Um, so giving yourself a way to, to have a physical touch point is mm. also a really good way to remind you, I'm playing a character. I know these things about them. I know how to react. I never and thought that gives, that, that gives you that agency, which is That's a, a good idea. Alias so, yeah. is the concept that you would call it for someone who's nervous. Just remind them, you're not being judged as you. You're the crazy Ferengi on the bridge, or whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, that's how we're going to react to you. So have fun with it. Yeah. So I think it's worth mentioning then safe space because we talk a lot about that. Is you know, it's not just like everyone comes in and yes ands, and then maybe you accidentally offend someone. So I think it's how do you build your LARPing group into a safe space where you still have boundaries? You know, just not know, especially if you're playing with strangers, right? Yeah, uh, every LARPing session that we have, and indeed every tabletop gaming session, especially with people that don't know each other, has to kind of start out with this brief calibration where we have some easy signals that we can send each other to say whether something needs to slow down or speed up or stop. In person, we like to use hand signals because it's a really nice way to communicate that without interrupting anybody else's play, which can kind of come off as a negative experience. Mm. Um, but online, we've done it with side channels in Discord or other places where you can let people have the play that they're gonna have, but also kind of tune it as you go. And you have to make that something that you practice. Your GM or your lead players need to make sure to demonstrate that and check in, be proactive. Just because you're not hearing anything doesn't mean people aren't feeling things. So you have to be willing to both demonstrate that you can communicate and that you can also listen. So it's really about building trust and being open um, and being willing to handle something that's maybe unpleasant in a way that's positive and supportive and say like, I'm really glad you communicated that to me. I'm gonna adjust, we're gonna try again, right? Yeah, Jim, with your extensive role-playing experience, what do you have to say about that? I mean, it, it, it sounds a lot like the conversation we had about the player's guide and the game master guide where we talked about uh, uh, creating, uh, you know, having that session, session zero with your group, creating the safe space, laying down the ground rules, having a conversation with everybody, making sure everybody's on board and, uh, and you know, have the, the tools on hand, like if something's not working or if something's going wrong and you're not feeling it, not just be willing to raise your hand and say something's not off here, but also to be aware of everybody else in the room with you and say, oh, that person got really quiet and uh, they're looking really uncomfortable. Maybe why don't we take a, I'll take the agency upon myself, even though I'm just a player or I'm just a GM and say, let's take a pause here. I think someone's, you know, and not so much call them out and say, hey, you're looking uncomfortable, but say, you know, be more diplomatic and say, let's take a break here and uh, go, you know, get a drink or refresh ourselves and then come back and, th and then come back and talk about it as, you know, well-adjusted adults and, and, and have a good play experience for everybody. But I mean, it sounds the exactly the same concepts. I mean, you want to have, you want, it's here, for, we're here to have fun, right? And you right. don't want some, some dictator or tyrant, you know, ruling over everybody and 
just making people miserable, right? So, um, but what I think is really important, and, I mean, gosh, there's so much I could unpack here, <laughs> but uh, safe spaces, like one of the things I've really noticed um, over the years of being a writer and then, you know, getting into the game and going to a lot of conventions, especially for Star Trek, because I've gone to a lot of different um, IP conventions and like Star Trek is one of the, I don't want to say it's an oddball, but it's, it's, it's kind of unique in that, like when you go to a Star Trek convention, like, you know, it's going to be a safe space. Like no matter who you are or what you look like or what you choose to wear, no one's going to be, uh, the vast majority of the people are not going to be laughing behind your back or like wondering what the hell you are or whatever. They're, they're going to be like, I got to get a picture with you. I got, I got, I love your costume. I love whatever you're doing, whatever. Um, but like, especially like shortly here in uh, Maryland, I go, I go every year. And like, it's, it's, it's like immediate apparent that like, even if you're, this is your first time there, you are welcomed. You're part of the family. You're you, like, you could be dressed in whatever most obscure character you can imagine. Someone's going to know who it is, but uh, it, it's just like such a welcoming, open, open company. And I think it really, it, it just ties into that idic uh, idea that like, no matter who you are, where you're from, you're going to be welcome and, and it's okay. And, and that's, that, 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 that's like the foundational starting point of a safe space. Um, and so like Casey, like, you know, I'm just listening to you and Michael and it's like, yes, you are both part of my tribe. And I'm just so thrilled that uh, we're all speaking the same language here. Cause it's just, it's so nice to hear this, like all the stuff I've been thinking for 30 odd years, RPGing and playing and LARPing and stuff. It's like, yeah, this is, this is literally everything that we're talking about. And, and this is everything that we want to have in the game. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, going back, you know, I always have to throw an illustration in if I can think of one, just so people can kind of tune into it. And, and, when we're talking about safe spaces you know if you're playing I, I had a privilege of playing in a little jazz band once and you know everyone's playing digging it and then all of a sudden someone hits a raw note and you actually do stop and start again and there's nothing wrong with that that's part of the artistic process and so I think sometimes if whether it's LARPing or tabletop RPG or playing on discord like I play by post the minute that you hear a raw note stop this is a creative exercise. Get back to where you know, start, start, start at the chord structure again. And that's really what we're talking about here in creating the safe space, knowing that some people LARPing is going to be uncomfortable that for them for the first time, they don't know quite what to expect. Um, if people out there are looking to LARP, you know, uh, may, I, maybe I can ask you, Casey, if they're looking for advice on LARPing, what's out there for them on resources? You probably know. Yeah, like there are a lot of great Facebook groups. Um, for specific games in people's areas. A lot of games love new players. They love to kind of walk you through it and give you an introduction. Um, there's smaller LARPing clubs that do things like play a four hour game on a Saturday afternoon, really short. If you don't like it, awesome, but they gave you a shot. Um, conventions are an excellent place to get into that. There's gonna be a lot of opportunity for short form stuff, um, but I'm gonna put in a plug here for a totally different game uh, that I think meshes really well with Star Trek Adventures. It's called Strange Gravity. It's by a guy named Jay Treat. It's like, you can buy it and download it and print it out. It's not, it's not a big kit. And it's made of cards that tell you your roles. You will find the rules very familiar. They look an awful lot like rules you might find on a Starfleet ship. You've got your warrior, you've got your captain, you've got your counselor. And it's what, what's called a GMless game. So everybody gets the role and they get some instructions about how to build scenes and then they do it together. You just tell that story. It's just like playing in your backyard on the weekend with a little more guidance. Um, and if you have played or looked at the storylines for a Star Trek Adventures module, it would be so easy to hack that into something where you're instead of sitting at a table, you're doing it in you know a van in the backyard or some seats that you put in your in your living room. 
Um, but getting getting into how to do that is really just a matter of saying, you know, on Twitter or on Facebook, hey guys, I'm super interested in this. Can you point me in that direction? If you're a nerd at all, I guarantee somebody in your circle has got resources for you. And it's a welcoming community. LARPers love more LARPers. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think now that people are getting outside, the pandemic is, you know, hopefully going away and people want to be in nature more. I think it's actually a really cool thing. I mean, again, I would never ever tell my nieces, nephews, kids stop stop pretending and so even as adults um i think it's it's a very healthy exercise to role play in anything you do even serious things you know i think about like people in relationships has a best friend and say hey i need to have this conversation with my wife i'll be her and you be me and let's see how it goes it's not an unusual thing to happen in life and and um you know it's good to get away from electronics so that's why i'm all about rpg is because it's just just such brain food. And what else do you think, Casey, if you had any other tips for people um, that you so, want to pass um, on? My tips for people as a game runner to bring more interactivity to your table are to mix in those fun little props, to step away from rolling dice to resolve conflict, but work in, you know, you can download little escape room puzzles or find alternatives to resolving conflicts and things that aren't dice related that allow players among you that really like solving puzzles or uh, deciphering, you know, language stuff to look at that at the table and really get into it. And it gives you a little break as a game master, right? You've given them a puzzle and they can spend some time solving it. You can let them use roles for hints if they need to, but it really breaks you out of that looking at a character sheet space. Um, and then if you're the crafty type like I am and you're doing Star Trek stuff like I am, look at the ways that some of the old props were made on, this, on those older series and even some of the new ones. The prop makers were not using 3D printers. They were not using lasers. They were finding weird looking salt shakers and they were making pads out of balsa wood and stickers. I'm not even kidding. That's what a lot of this stuff was made out of. And so it's really easy to get your hands on something that you pass around to your players and say like, I've got an incoming message from Starfleet Command. You need to read it on this pad. <laughs> hey, the phaser rifles in, in Voyager were, were balsa wood. So, so I mean- that. Yeah, that's 25 years ago they were doing that right now. Now the guns are all plastic anyways. So and there's 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 something to be said for kit bashing. I, I remember uh, I went to uh, Dragon Con many moons ago and uh, I was th this was when uh, episode one for Star, Star Wars came out. And uh, I was like, I'm going to I'm going to dress up as a Jedi. I had a, I had a group of friends and we were all going to go as, as Jedis. And I was like, well, shoot, if I'm going to go as a Jedi, I need a lightsaber. I've got to build myself a lightsaber. And like, I've got to build my own lightsaber because I can't go to this convention with the with my own person like some random thing i get off the shelf that everyone's going to have so I, I remember going to like home depot or lowe's or something and i was like okay i don't i have literally no idea what i need because like i've never done this before i've got i've got a dremel at home and what am i doing so i, I just i just wandered the aisles and i just found random little bits and bobs of things and a, a length of pipe and some insulation and just random stuff threw it into the cart and somehow I made it work and somehow That's I made it happen. Cool. But uh, there's just a lot of fun to be had in just like kit bashing something and making it, put, throwing it together and go, oh, there it is. It, it, just, it just happens, right? Um, I was going to say something. I had a question and a comment for, for Casey and now I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, it was related to LARPing. It was related to te technology. Um, I've lost the comment. The question, oh, now I, never, I remember what the question is. Of course, LARPing is at its best, arguably, when you're in person with people outdoors or in an environment or something you're doing stuff but given that for the last two years we've been prisoners of covid to some extent you know some more than others and we're still not quite over that yet what kind of strategies whether it's star trek or another game that you're larping like how do you make how do you make that that work virtually 
Yeah, so um, I watched personally the whole LARPing industry explode with online LARPs over the past two years. I honestly personally can't participate a lot because I work on the computer all day and it just feels like work to me. But the creativity that people have come up with using Discord as a method of multi-format communication, um, there are a lot of online systems that will let you kind of represent a physical space with avatars that you can move around to do your LARPing activities while you're looking at each other over video. Yeah. Um, I've, I've personally played in LARPs where everybody got on video in full costume and did four hours of dramatic role play in a way that it was designed to facilitate. Like we were, um, you know, wizards talking through a crystal ball. Well, there's your crystal ball right in front of you. So it's it's something that you can blend even. We've got some gaming groups that are partially remote and partially in person. So you can set up a screen and have them kind of remote in and interact with you. Uh, honestly, I think the pandemic's kind of been a little bit of a blessing for that because live action does not mean that you have to be able to touch the person. It just means you need to be able to look them in the eye, just yeah. like you guys. That's the important part. So real-time comms, again, we live in the future. They yeah. would have died for this technology back in the TOS building area. So we yeah. might as well enjoy it. Um, and just remember that the, the best part of that is leaving space for other people yeah. and giving everybody at the table a chance to communicate and speak up. And um, if you're including them, then everyone has a great chance at a good time. Let me add on to that question too, because I was talking about the metaverse, which which we're, and I said, I was going to ask you this question, Casey, where do you see it going now that we're looking at really interactive virtual environments you know i feel we're 50 years away from a holodeck so where do you think it's going well you know you say metaverse but my first thought goes to you know the playstation bridge command game where you are mm -hmm. literally logging on with people and solving problems together um, i think the technology for digital representation is really making great strides i personally work at a company that does a lot of telecom uh, stuff and uh, some of the technology that's coming out around that is amazingly cool uh, just being able to connect with people and have you know, immersion in a world that has nothing physical to do with it and being able to customize that is probably going to be beautiful and terrible. Um, you know, Star Trek's predicted that in both bad and good ways, right? You could get addicted to the holodeck, just like French Barkley, or you can figure out how to use it for solving problems. Um, but I think that that is really going to transform how we collaborate globally in a really awesome way. Um, and I can't wait to build some virtual stuff in virtual lands to do more role play. Yeah, it's amazing how much stuff is already built and could easily be translated into that environment where I'm like, uh, it's just waiting to be ported in there. Like some of even the walkthroughs of Voyager, for instance, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, give me this and I can go wherever I want. Game over. You know, it's like, that's all. My, that's my own TV show come alive. <laughs> you know, Casey, it's really interesting that you said that uh, LARPing has really exploded over the last couple of years with the pandemic. I think, you know, Michael, you and I have talked about this. I think I think the pandemic weirdly gave Star Trek Adventures a boost because we had um, um, Shield of Tomorrow and then a whole bunch of people were playing this game online on Twitch and YouTube and you know recording their sessions and they were dressing up in costumes and they had the makeup and uh, uh, they were just doing the whole thing like you, you could you, I mean makeup is so great now that you can do full-blown Klingon heads just with makeup like with shadowing and shading and, and just being clever with your makeup you don't need the prosthetics anymore uh, or, or as much, I will, you know, some people certainly go for it. But uh, I mean, I know that I saw, because I've been following this game on social media for years now, because I, I kind of have to, right? But uh, um, I saw a significant increase in online play um, because of the pandemic, but also because this rule set really lends itself to to almost LARPing. And I, I just, I, it's fascinating to hear that, that LARPing in general exploded because of the pandemic. And then uh, Star Trek Adventures has just kind of gone right along with it. And uh, I, I just think that's just amazing because I, I mean, that's one of the things I love to do because I'm working on this game 
you know, late at night, you know, editing or writing or whatever. And if, if I have half an hour, where I need to, to burn myself down so I can go to sleep. You know, I'll, I'll put, I'll find somebody, some random person's uh, recording or Twitch channel or something. And it might be in German or it might be in Polish or, uh, you know, whatever. I, I won't be able to understand what they're saying, but I'll be, I'll be seeing them playing the game. Right. And, and having a great time. It's like, Oh, that's Star Trek. And that's stuff that we developed and did. And it's just amazing to see, how how well it translates to this and i guess i shouldn't be surprised because it's it's all drama it's all like you were saying casey it's all it's all video screens um but you know while you, while you were talking and i'll stop talking i promise um <laughs> michael you know casey was talking about you know having this the view screens i was like wouldn't it be an amazing experiment to do an admiralty level campaign where everybody in the game is a captain and you're just doing like uh epistolar like an epistolary game where you're just doing captain's logs back and forth to each other and like you're just going through this campaign and you're like i'm a captain you're a captain you're a captain and we're just having this we're, we're a fleet going doing some exploration thing and we're just communicating captain back and forth to each other well what a great great one shot that would be and now, now i've got all kind of ideas <laughs> well i mean my dream, let's, here. <laughs> let's talk about our dreams as you know as we get close yeah. you know i i said you told me we have an extended session this is a good one but let's talk about our dreams as we start going out here my dream is actually that a local playhouse you know i live in a, a, a there's a local playhouse here in castro valley california near oakland south of oakland and it would be a dream if a theater company decided that they were just going to do certain episodes of Star Trek on stage and get the right set dress. And I've never been anywhere that offers that where it's like, oh, this season we're going to do the first season of Star Trek Voyager or the third season. Like how fun would that be when it comes to taking LARPing to the ultimate extreme, right? Mm. What's yeah, your although, dream, Casey? Oh, that, go ahead. That, that, I was going to say, that being said, though, it, it'd be almost more fun to to do your own original series right like like don't pay the royalties to all the writers and the developers and the producers who actually did the stuff like yeah. here's your character here's your original characters mm -hmm. with the with you know decent uniforms and, and sets and props and stuff and then just uh, as an audience i would love to pay uh, you know money for a ticket to just sit there and watch a troop of actors do a star trek episode an original star trek episode on stage just right. off the top of their off the top of their dome right well because be the point of the what, what i think is cool about it too when i think about the art dressing like even if you got some people some local artists to come in and say hey you know what it doesn't have to be exact techno like you're seeing on a discovery or picard give us that retro feel because you just and the lighting is just right and you know just make sure one of the actors walks into the little light beam across their <laughs> eye during one of the romance scenes you know like there's so much you could do from an artsy point of view and just yeah. pull in some drama off the star trek theme so that's my dream is to see that happen in a local theater somewhere you could do that yeah casey, casey how about you uh, I have I have an impossible dream, which is that all of, uh, that, that the Star Wars hotel succeeds really well, and CBS decides that they want to resurrect Star Trek: The Experience, yeah. <laughs> and then that they're going to invite me to do set dressing for that, which is really what I want to do. <laughs> I'll never get there, but I did get to go to Star Trek: The Experience once when it existed in Vegas. I was a little young, but I cannot tell you the the mark that it made on my soul when I walked onto the bridge of the Enterprise D. Like that is a soul shaking moment. And I think everybody needs to be able to experience that at least once if you like Star Trek is to walk onto a set. There, there's a place up in Ticonderoga that's got the original series set. Yep. They're building an Enterprise D set. I am going yep. to be there. Uh, but just having people be able to, to have that connection with the thing that they love, 
yeah. I think is, um, you know, I, I'm seeing good things out of Star Trek in the past decade, right? Let's continue mm -hmm. that. And yeah, then... don't say never, because I actually, you know, I think again, I'll say don't say never because like coming out of the 70s, I and Jim, give us your take. You probably have a better pulse on it than we do. I think the fans are driving the show creation again and the revival of the franchise. What do you think about that, Jim? I think like I, I can't believe I, you know me I can't believe that I have the chance to freelance write for an RPG that's Star Trek based I mean that, that's just like what and my dad is just like over it you know he's like my son <laughs> you, know, you know he's just so happy. so so again the fans are driving this I know that's the only reason that I know some of the writers you pick are all fans these are people who are just doing stuff on their own and you notice them and you go grab them so what do you think about that with the future of Star Trek and um what we'll see I, you know, I think um, Star Trek has always been really fan driven, right? I mean, uh, the Trimbles uh, did that whole letter writing campaign to save the original series. And uh, for the longest time, Paramount was uh, when they were doing Next Gen and DS9 and Voyager uh, in production, like they were really focused on creating that program where anybody could write a spec script and mail it in. And if it was good enough, they would invite you in to pitch, you know, stories. That, so they've always had a connection to the fans. Um, even when, uh, and this is across different licensees, right? Uh, when um, when Pocketbooks, uh, Simon & Schuster, did the uh, Strange New Worlds short story contest for 10 years, they were like, we're going to open it up to the fans and say, if you can write a professional grade short story, send it in and we'll take the best 20 or whatever and publish them in a book. And they did that for 10 years. And I mean, that's how I got my start. I, I got three of my stories published. I know Dayton Ward did too, and a bunch of other uh, Star Trek novelists got that, that's where they got started because they had that opportunity and that's because somebody in charge of Star Trek said let's open this up to the fans and keep them connected and I've carried that forward because you know I'm in charge of this and as far as I know uh, Star Trek Adventures is literally the only Star Trek property right now that's open to unagented writers like if you can write and have a passion for Star Trek I want you right I want you writing for the game because like I can feel it I can feel that passion if you have that passion I'm going to find a place for you somewhere in the game and so but now now we've seen it happen with the tv shows right because i think the fans responded so positively to uh anson mount and uh ethan ethan pike and um um uh Re rebecca romajan 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 i can't remember i can't Rebecca's remember Stamos. <laughs> what was Stamos. Stamos, yeah uh -huh. um they responded so well to those characters and those actors that I think the 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 fans kind of willed Strange New Worlds into being by saying we want more of this, mm -hmm. let make it happen somehow. And fortunately, the bean counters at Viacom CBS said, oh yeah, we should probably do something with that, yeah. <laughs> and, and made it happen. So I think as long as the and like I know it's challenging, of course, because Viacom CBS is a multi-billion-dollar business and they need to make money for their share, for their shareholders. And uh, you know, it's a, ultimately it's a business which. Is just where we are with this late capitalist society. You know, it's not Star Trek yet, but you know, all that being said, um, I think as long as they keep their finger on the pulse of fandom and they respect the fans, um, Star Trek's going to be around for a long, long, long time. And, and here's uh, and that's a perfect segue because here's what I love about yeah. LARPing. Here's what I love about tabletop RPG, Discord, whatever. And here's what I love about Star Trek Adventures is before there was even a Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was writing amazing games. And then all of a sudden my, my players were accusing somehow that Marvel had stolen my ideas you know? <laughs> because, because it was like, wait, but that's like, we played that 10 years ago. And I mm -hmm. feel the same thing with Star Trek RPG now, you know, I, I'm not into haters because 
if a hater became a writer, they'd be mad at the haters, right? I always feel that. And so, and so if you don't like something that's happening in Star Trek, Star Trek Adventures gives you the chance to write your own story. LARPing gives you the chance to write your own story and have that enjoyment. It doesn't make a difference whether it's published with a million subscribers or not. If you think you have a better story, practice it out with your friends. That's the power of RPG to me, right? What do you, Casey, final comments on that? Yeah, the power of story storytelling and the power of collaborative storytelling is you get to make your own reality. And mm -hmm. for the period of time where you're all playing together, it is true. And there aren't a lot of places in the world where you get to decide what's true. And mm -hmm. storytelling and role playing are it. And that's why that kind of play is so powerful. And that's why it can leave a mark on you a long time after you walk away from the table or from the game that you're playing. It can change you as a person in a positive way. And if you're playing with a positive group and telling positive stories like, the really unique and amazing things that you can do in Star Trek, you can actually make the world a better place, starting with the seed of telling a story together. Yeah, Jim, final words on storytelling, LARPing, RPG. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't follow that. That was so great. That was perfect. That was like everything, everything in my head that I wanted to do. And like, if I had one wish, we, we didn't really get to my wish, which is fine. Um, I, I, I would love, I would love to be able to continue to to take this game. And refine it and refine it and refine it to the point where it's where it continues to be a tool set to facilitate exactly that you can you can take that core book give it to any group of people and they're going to go off and do their own amazing stuff and they're, they're not following the mod, the module as it's written they're not they're not worried about the shield points or the whole points or the amount of damage you're doing you're just getting into the story and doing fantastic amazing stories with your friends having a great time around the table or out there in the world um, out there in the you know go in the forest go on an away team mission go on a landing party Get out there, you know, enjoy yourself or do it over the screen, like whatever you're comfortable with, right? Um, but, okay, I get to add one last yeah. dream on top of this. Then I know I wanted you to have the last dream, but I'm going to go. This is for Al Spader. He's an educator and a freelance yes. writer, and he plays with me in my game. And me and him always talk about we wish we could build a, a curriculum for the American school system that is an RPG. So when kids come into the class, they're playing through history and math and empathy and social studies. And it's highly addictive. If, like that would be my biggest dream is that they really take gamification into mm -hmm. the classroom as opposed to the Oxford didactic learning, which actually does not stimulate the brain whatsoever. And it's a class-based system and don't get me started. But, <laughs> but if RPG could be used, you know, the, the technicality of it to really get people to play and learn throughout life, that would be an amazing, amazing education, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've talked about it. We talked about it. I know Star Trek is right there because Star Trek's, teaching all those values, right? Leadership, empathy, diversity. Uh, there's just so much packed into Star Trek. And if, if we can figure out how to make that work with this rule set and this game system, I mean, I mean, it may not make a ton of money. I don't know. I don't care about no, the money. I, so you gotta teach, well, <laughs> but, you got to teach the teachers, you know, it's yeah. a, you have to start. Yeah. But anyways, enough anyway, dreaming. It's yeah. We're all getting sleepy. This is perfect because, because <laughs> like uh, Delta Flyer says, you know, Star Trek is ASMR too. It, it helps us all relax. Um, I want to <laughs> go ahead and give some huge thank yous out. Uh, first of all, I just always do the shout outs. So I do the shout out to the brick and mortar stores. So um, because we know, you know, without them, you know, they create so many new players all the time. They're really good um, environments. So I have a shout out to Phoenix Rising Games and Comics by Ben Eastman, uh, Troy Mepians, a writer for Star Trek, of course, RPG, Boss Media Board Game Cafe in Guildsburg, Michigan. And Benjamin Sloan says Fox Comics and Games in Marion, 
Illinois. All right. And then one last one, Matthew Wilson. Um, he purchases all his physical STA books at Millennium Games. So we want to give a shout out to all of those brick and mortars who keep it alive in their neighborhoods. Um, Jim, do you want to give a thank you out? Yep. Uh, two thank yous. Well, I mean, I guess one very big thank you and then one smaller thank you. Uh, one big thank you to uh, to literally all the uh, all the uh, all the production people and all the distribution people who are responsible for making this thing and all the thousands of things that we made that look just like it and finally getting these out into distribution and and, uh, and into the mail and all that stuff. All the people, all that huge giant globals production chain and supply chain. Thank you for finally making this happen because this has been a long time coming. So thank you for all the work that you did and all the COVID challenges that you had to face and all that stuff. Uh, so that's, that's the big one. The, the secondary one is uh, I also want to thank, even though it's a mixed blessing sometimes, I want to thank everybody involved in social media because it's made the world smaller and then it's made the world more intimate and it, it, it somehow enabled us to meet you, Casey. And I think this has been such an amazing episode. I want to thank you for spending two hours with us rambling on about Star Trek and LARPing and RPGs and stuff, because that was just a happy accident that we connected on, connected on social media and that you were so willing to spend your time with us and talk about this and that you're so passionate about what you do. And you can hear the passion in our voices about what we do. And it just, it was just a really happy, I, I just love it when things come together and it just works. Right. I mean, not to, again, not to pat myself on the back or pat you on the back or whatever, but like, this was so much fun. And I, I really enjoyed all of the things that you had to say. Like I, I've spent so much time just nodding my head here. Like somebody watches this on fast forward. They're just going to, they're going to see me doing this all night. <laughs> it, just, it just makes so much sense. So thank you, Casey, so much for being here. Really appreciate um, you, you joining us. Uh, do you have anyone that you'd like to thank? Uh, for for to close it up here. I mean, I have to offer the global thanks to everybody who's ever been involved in Star Trek from the professional and from the fan level. I've been a part of it my whole life. I wouldn't be who I am without it. And I have to thank you guys for inviting me on. It's been a great time. I hope to come back and do it again sometime. Oh yes, honestly, oh, yes. you got me. You got me waiting my appetite toward uh, appetite toward LARPing. Yeah. Um, definitely that I think that would be super fun I'm not big into crowds but I think I could find a park somewhere to do it in that, <laughs> that could work out Casey this was amazing um, thank you again Casey Hardy um, if people have questions about LARPing can they reach you on a social media site like Facebook find me Star on Twitter at Casey Hardy yeah I'm really easy to find you can also okay. find my cosplay at talented full cos cosplay but uh, it's mostly just Ferengi stuff right now so unless you're into Ferengi maybe don't check that out <laughs> I love everyone it. knows I'm all about the umak come on <laughs> all about the umak fantastic <laughs> okay this is probably one of our best continuing conversations of all time I have to say it really opened up a new avenue of role playing with the LARPing discussion tricorder box set and uh, I want to thank everybody for again supporting uh, continuing missions and Star Trek Adventures RPG. So with that, we peace out. I D, oh, two hands. I'm trying to practice I D I C. Long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. <laughs> All right. Cheers, y'all. Be well.